Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We have a very epic edition of the podcast today with my longtime friend, Mike Sleater. Um, you may or may not have heard of Sleater, depending on how hardcore you follow uh, the motocross community. Uh, Sleater was a test rider for KTM uh, for 14 years, started in 2004 and uh, just uh, left that job this year. So Sleater has been around to say, uh, to say the least. Uh, he's a family man. He married an Australian, lovely Australian lady. Now has two kids that are half Aussie. So he gets to spend uh, quite a bit of time here. Um, he's a guy that always had my back in the US. Um, he was a guy that I'd called to help me out in certain situations like music videos and just like super random, random stuff. But he was always a guy that if you called him, he would call you back and he would help you out if he could. Um, and it, the, like a guy that never then sort of called you and tried to, you know, get favors back. It just felt like he was just always this genuine guy that would always help you if he could. Um, and he's a guy that I wanted to get on the podcast since I started it. Uh, I just was, I never like really spoke to him about the intricacies of testing, uh, the kinds of things that made like a motorcycle good, the kinds of things that made a person a good tester. Um, and his industry knowledge and insight is so good uh, that we just sat here for a few hours and just talked straight moto. Um, I wanted to get into some other stuff. Uh, some of the stuff we got into with him on the podcast that we did at OzX Open, and then we just ran out of time. Like we just went deep into the whole moto thing. Um, but never mind, because I will have Sleater on this podcast every time he's in Australia. He's just a super cool guy and he's always insanely honest um and that makes for for great listening um i was riveted by hear the stories and the things that he was saying uh and his perspective on motocross and and supercross and what we should do to sort of push the sport and yeah just a all-around great podcast from an all-around great guy uh everybody mike's leader michael sleeter on the podcast Gypsy gang represent. What's happening, brother? Man, I'm in Oz with you. Super hyped to be here. Can't even. We've been wrapping out, getting this thing set up, and it's kind of surreal, man. We've known each other for a lot of years, and I'm I'm been a fan of the podcast, and now we get to do it. 
Dude, that's what, like, we sort of, yeah, I wasn't set up all the way when when Slater got here, so, like, we've kind of been wrapping out more than normally before a podcast, but I was saying to you that, like, that one of the more fun things to me about the podcast at the moment is that there's these people in my life that I've been, like, either really close friends with or with me and you, like, we've never been, like, super tight barbecues every weekend but you've always been like a friend to me and I've called you at times when I've needed stuff and I've like, it feels like you're a guy that's always had my back and it's really cool now to then, and that was like before this podcast was even a thing. And now there's people that are like, dude, I want to come on your podcast. I want to come on your podcast. And it's like, I didn't have that with them. It's like they're new people that want to come on the podcast. But with you, you're like a OG dude that, I feel like this is like years in the making, but we never even knew that this was going to be a thing. Yeah, man. Like I, with you getting coming over to the States and we had mutual friends and then watching you do your damn thing. And then we just did some music video a couple of years ago. Dude, I fully forgot about that. Yeah, even. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we kind of just connected again and you had my back as much as I had yours. And, you know, like it's been rad watching your journey as a friend doing what you do and then likewise but we always we connect every 18 months on a project or doing something but it's cool like true friends are hard to find and and people that are transparent and i think me and you are transparent enough that some people may or may not like us for our transparency so it's cool to be able to sit down and shoot the shit yeah dude and it's uh yeah it's crazy too because this was like a a bucket list podcast for me and it's because of that reason. Like, I know that when we do this shit, it's going to be as real as it fucking gets because that's who you are. And, like, it was funny when people... Like, I always have people like, oh, who was your dream podcast? Who would you want to have on? And, like, I never say, like, Mike Sleater because not that many people in, like, the broad audience of, like, you know, the random people that ask me would know who you are. But it's like, if you're listening to this, motherfuckers, this is one of my bucket list podcasts because you never hold shit back. And... Man, it's funny, like with the jujitsu thing, you've got like the belt system and it's funny, like I've added that into my life in like so many different areas. And I think that I have a black belt in motocross in terms of maybe not as a rider, but in terms of the shit I've seen, the races I've been to, the testing sessions I've been to, the properties that I've been to, the compounds, all the riders, like I feel like I've seen everything in motocross. So if I have a black belt, you have whatever the fuck comes after that. <laughs> like, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, we're. I would say we're students, man. Like, you talk about jujitsu. I grappled in high school, and, and uh, I'm a fucking fan of moto. I'm a super fan. Dude. Like, I, I love sure. it. I love it. I'm not afraid to say I'm not. My kid's right. It's made me who I am. And I'm a student of it to this day. Like, in, until I die, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to turn my back on that sport for what it's done for me. So... I've seen you at the test tracks. I've, I mean, the, being the guy with the camera and the, yeah. doing the photography, you've seen stuff and people are telling you not to show people certain things. Like yeah. you see more than most riders know because they're, they're on the bike and people are talking, you're hearing things. So yeah, I totally agree. And I'm on the A side of the belt and you're on the Z and we have to meet in the middle in projects. So it's cool to be able to like, let these fools know what's going on. It's, it's crazy. Like, so to give people a background, like I'll obviously do the intro to the podcast or whatever, but you were a test rider for KTM for 14 years, right? 14 years. And so when I first moved to the States and was working with JDR, I sort of thought that like, if you were a factory rider, you were good at testing. And what I come to learn is that, 95% of AMA pro motocross dudes 
don't know dick about how to actually test and set up a motorcycle and it was interesting on the even on the chad reed podcast we were talking about like bike setup and he's a dude that's like insanely bike setup orientated and like he was saying like you'd look at like with ricky's bikes and it was like you would couldn't a suspension dude would never give a guy that setup and say hey let's start from here and see where you know and then we'll fine-tune it it's like crazy far off so and then i remember uh nate ramsey obviously he was a team manager he was a guy that was good at testing yeah he was solid and he told like well he didn't like tell me but through being around there the conversations with it like riders literally don't know shit and it's it it's the ball sort of dropped for me with guys like tedesco preston like who are these guys that were like on teams for like nate dog chad chad was tied to nate because nate would do testing do the dirty work yeah so it's like uh, once he once that penny dropped that like all these guys aren't good at testing and then you got like a guy like phil nicoletti he's around jgr for a lot so it's like once you sort of that penny drops you can start to look around the pits and be like and and because the moto warrior message boards like you shouldn't have this ride you shouldn't have it and it's like mm, what's going on here is that dude knows how to test a motorcycle yeah that's really kind of how it started for me is in 04 i uh got a call from a friend ryan raglan said hey i got this orange little thumper that makes a lot of noise that you know we're going to compete with the big boys and two-man team of KTM's North American R&D group, just two dudes, an engineer, a chassis guy, and a mechanic, but they were doing everything but with two guys. So I was involved with the first 250F development, man, and, and uh, kind of just was on American Support Honda deal with from MC when he had his little team, and he hooked me up, like got me, f- McGrath fully hooked me up. And I didn't know that. Yeah, he gave me through Fun Bike Center, like when he was doing Supermoto and stuff, he like... Yeah. MC like literally got me bikes like and like took me under his wing I had some couple good years as a privateer and gave me some bikes on my own got me some good equipment and that's when I started getting noticed because I was on good shit and um I just whatever MC would tell me I would just soak up man like I was the king and uh I had this opportunity well Jeremy I know I have like six months left on this deal he's all dude if KTM's gonna pay you and my first contract was like 12.5 for a year 12,500 really yeah no five and I but I got bikes and my expenses paid and I was like I'm killing it and I was I was 24 I wasn't like I was 19 you know but I was trying to do it and um yeah so that started working and then like oh basically in 05 I into the nationals when Alessi I was an Alessi in Tedesco and everyone was going uh. for the I was going to the nationals like testing engines just flying to Millville but under the side of the truck racing like an engine that might be available for the next week to make sure it lived like really? yeah like it was badass like I my motors were arguably better than anyone's in the line because they were so aggressive like to make them better because our chassis were for real not the best like so we had to make up with horsepower, horsepower. and in the lights class, you can get away with that a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so just, just things like that, man, I just always was willing to sacrifice my personal gain for the company. But there was times where I was like, man, I really wish I could get a 12th or an eighth. That's really where I could be. That was realistic goals. And I, I'd have a DNF because of a motor or, you know, uh, because I was so testing. you were like a sacrificial lamb. Almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was transparent. Like they knew, I knew going in, I was yeah like you might some shit might catch a grenade on you yeah so just be be mindful of it and it's just that parlayed my entire career with ktm and as a racer and rider and i can't like 
yeah, that's, that's my story with them. You know, it's much deeper, but the test rider is Ryan Morris is the man at KTM. Now he's been there a few years. He kind of taken over my role at R and D and he's helping the race team has been helping the race team. And he is a badass when it comes to t- setting up a bike. Another dude that had a ride for like a really long time when it was, you're almost like, oh, his results are not really there. Like, Clearly. why is this guy on a factory bike? Yeah, that's you why. You need those dudes. Yeah, he's the guy. Shorty, same thing. Shorty yep. was the wingman. So, like, experience comes through, but as you get older and as a rider, you have to justify your paycheck, and you might be that wingman, but yes, so you have to be a good test guy. Like I said, there's, you know, the TPs, like Travis Preston, Ivan Tedesco, still working for Mitch, yep. doing Mitch's stuff and busting out motors at the track, but I did it for so long, for so many years, and it, like... I just wasn't growing as a person. Like that's why I stepped away from it full time. Which was recent, right? It was like just recent. Year, yeah, yeah, six months ago, five six months ago, and yeah, um, like I, I still love motorcycles. That's what who I, who I am, and everything else is secondary as my 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 hobbies and what I want to do. But I just needed to I needed to step away, and before I didn't like what I did. Yeah, and I love what I did till the last day I did it, and it was getting to the point where I was like. Why am I doing this? I can't grow. I was really damn good at it and it was easy to me, but I yeah. wasn't being challenged anymore. So I just decided to step away and the KTM family is a family of mine to this day and forever will be, but I'm on to new things. So it's cool. Man, it's crazy. Like, did you think in 04 KTM would become what it is today? Like, hell no. You, so that wasn't like this thing where you were jumping in and being like, I'm going to do this because in. 10 years time or 11 years time, I guess. When do they sign Dunge? 15? Yeah, 15, yep. So like 11 years time, they're going to have the fucking dude, they're going to have the man, and they're going to be all in more so than any other team they're going to require Husky. Like, So you didn't have like this inkling of like, I'm going to get in on the ground floor or it was just straight dumb luck? Straight dumb luck. I had a relationship with a guy, Ryan Raglan, from years ago, just kind of being my character, just making sure like... I was always available for people kind of like Tyler Beerman and guys I was willing to hustle and yeah. like, and, and, and take my time to work. It was a job to me. I wanted to make it a job. So I treated it like a job and dumb luck. And I worked and, but quickly I realized the people that were around KTM in 04 and 05 were passionate as hell. Mm. And I was seeing what was two years ahead. So in 04, 05, I saw what was coming in 07 and 07 and 09 and I was drinking the punch, man. Like I was, yeah. I was drinking it. And like, I had so many people talking crap to me. Like, why are you on those bikes? And what are you thinking? Those things suck. And I'm like, well, I'm getting a paycheck and these guys are rad. And, and I know it's coming. And I know it's coming. And what was coming in 10 from 08 was way better than 08. And I had to keep my trap shut. But I was like, it's better. It's going to be better. And then it's just, it's just snowballed. And at that point too, like you sound like fucking the snake oil salesman as well. Like you'd be trying yeah. to be like, you can't say what it is. You're like, I'm telling you, it's going to be good. Just trust me. Believe me. It's going to be good. And it's like for years, you've got to be this dude that you know, maybe did people not take like a KTM test rider job seriously back then. They didn't, man. And I learned like I didn't come in and give them a wealth of knowledge. Like it was a mutual relationship. I was learning with a group. Mm. Right. So that was pretty badass. Like, my engineer was in his early 20s, or I'm sorry, late 20s, early 30s. I was mid, mid 20s, and we were just learning from each other. And like my whole role in 06, 07, 08, when I was racing full time as an R&D test rider, like we were trying the most insane parts in those chassis that my bikes were insane. Like, cause I had good people around me and I was like, sac- the sacrificial lamb again, going to races, testing products, like whole shotting, like top dudes. But 
people, I always got worried. Like, do people think that I'm like, I think I'm better than I am? Like, I, you know, like, I, I, but like, I just wanted to get whole shots and charge backwards. Like yeah. I, my talent, like it ran out at 26 years old, but I, I, I just wanted to do my thing and like have fun and make sure I did other stuff on top of that. Cause that's what made me happy. But working I love to work like I love to get in there and work and make the bike better and make that thing track so when Larry Brooks and Nathan Ramsey were going for the title dude I was at the test track till dark like working on stuff to make sure Nathan won like I didn't even care where I finished until I got on the gate hmm. I wanted to make sure Nate Dog would win and he came so damn close <sighs> dude like uh, he, he he blew it and but like he, you know he man but, he's honestly one of my favorite people ever yeah he's 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 awesome I texted him this morning because we're going to be able to work on some projects oh, with really? his with his now Orange Brigade, which was mine. Yeah. So like he, for Orange Brigade to have him, like those kids, honestly, I don't think they know. They don't know. They don't yeah. know. No. Like we should probably educate him on this podcast about who they have. Dude, but 100%. But, but like, yeah. So like, I just was willing to work. Like I treated mm. my, my, my and riding as like, a job. That's so evident too. When you look at like what you did in cycling and mountain biking, like you're just the kind of guy, like you're, there's it's there's people where I look at them and I'm like fuck you should have been a Navy SEAL for like just the straight like there's a there's like a mentality that you have to have to do certain things and like some dudes are just down to grind and you're one of those dudes man yeah. like you're just down to grind like I've seen you at the test track and I've seen you just like practicing I've been on mountain bike rides with you like you fucking love the Hurt Locker I do and it's like there's some guys you know like Wiener Wiener's like yep, that yeah. Wiener just put me in the fucking hurt locker dude like that's where i want to be and and that is like you can't fake that shit there's you you can't pretend to be a guy that likes to grind yeah and really it kind of goes back to like three simple i've been really using this kind of like three word message for young athletes that i mentor it's at a young age it's volume the amount, the amount you do something you'll be better than everyone yes right like from age five to 12 if you do something more than the other kids you're gonna be better yeah, it's hands down. At twelve to fourteen, some talent starts showing up. If you can put the volume in and you have the talent, you're gonna be better, like than the group. And then when you get to about sixteen to twenty-five, it's called sacrifice. Are you mm. willing to sacrifice? And if you can put those three together, which it is, so ex- volume, talent, sacrifice, sacrifice in that order. In that order, you know that volume of work. Like if you can just do it more, if you can go to the track more than everyone else when you're five to twelve, or you can go to the basketball court from five to twelve and shoot baskets, you're gonna be better than your peers, pretty much. Like yeah. you're just gonna be better because you're doing it more than your peers. And then when you go twelve to fifteen, if you have the talent and the volume, because that your body starts to develop. You're going to be better than the other kid that just has the volume. Yeah. And then when you get to 16, are you willing not to go to high school dances? Are you willing not to go to the clubs? Are you willing not to have a girlfriend? Are you willing not to sit on the social media? Are you willing to train harder? Once you have all those things, you're a weapon. And I can say I ran out of talent, but I was willing to sacrifice everything and grind and put the volume in. So I came up short on a tangible, like, title or a tangible thing but i'm fucking winning like i got to do what i wanted to do on my on my terms and i'm still doing it because i just i'm willing to work as hard as i can like me now i'm not working harder than that guy or this guy i'm working as hard as i physically can in relation to yourself in relation to myself and i I don't ever try to compare myself to a person because i'm not the same Mm. i'm not like i my body won't allow me to do that my my vo2 is only that or you know, my height is only this, but I can tell you like 
in Supercross, I had the best equipment possible and I ran out of talent. Mm. Eighth was my best. Like, who effing cares? There's guys that were in, got third that people don't even know of. They got, that won races, right? Mm. And I just wanted to have my best experience and I literally gave everything. I put the volume, I put the work in. And I came up short on a number, but my journey and my story is something I'm very proud of on, as Dude, far as a tangible like, race. Man, you're like, you're going to be... It's like a behind the scenes role, but there's like people that are going to go down in like the, the moto history of like, of how things were um, developed, how things got made. How did KTM get to this point? And it's like, you're a part of like a legacy, which is cool, man. And like riders come and go, but like to be that guy and to like have those motors blown up at Bud's Creek at the side of the track and no one really gives a fuck, but then there's like five dudes around your bike and they're pulling apart and you're scratching your head. And it's like, dude, that's like this little mini, this little mini world. That's like this hidden gem. Like I wish as a filmmaker in moto, i wish that I got the chance to like follow you around for one of those nationals uh, and just see all the DNFs. And like, dude, that's like the, that's a dream story because it's so under wraps, man. And like, and even for me, like, I worked for factory teams in Australia before I went to America and like it still didn't drop just how good a guy like you is and how valuable that, you know, these, these test riders that no one really ever gives like the light of day. And it's like, and even the, the input, like if you walk into a KTM dealership right now, you that's, know, that's my shit. you're like tipping your cap to that yeah, 450 yeah, that's sitting yeah, there. Yeah. And like, that's insane, bro, that you can, yeah. that you can go in and like know what you did to develop those machines. Like it's honestly that, that would be, I don't know whether it's like more rewarding than a race win. I guess it's like what you put that value on, but it's like, man, in terms of like a long standing legacy, it's like, it's an amazing what you're able to do. Yeah. Thanks. And th it is like, m you know, my, my dad has had to remind me of that a few times. And as a test rider, it's not about you and your performance. And I've had to check myself. I might, I don't want it to come off. So e like, it was so easy to me to be like, Oh, it's okay that I can't go to this race because I have a big test in Europe and it's okay that I, yeah, because it, it sucked because I grind and I train on the bicycle that's in the that gym. Sacrifice, right? That's that sacrifice. And I, uh, I got to do it. Like, I signed up for a job where like when you're a factory rider, it's all about that tangible race result and that tangible speed. Yeah. They didn't really give a shit about my speed. They didn't. They didn't care. Like, Cause you're fast enough to make the bike work how it needed to work. That's all that matters. That's exactly right. They, they cared to make that for me to make that bike better, but I mm. still wanted to be a damn racer. So when I had tests, I'd always try to be better as a rider to make the test days. Not so like, like just drawn out like, Oh, mm. we're, cause not every day you make the bike better. Like every day is not a win, right? Mm. Like there'll be days at Glen Helen. I get there at eight, start riding by eight forty-five. There at three thirty, four o'clock, and we went backwards. And we, I'd ride the reference bike at three thirty and go, well, we just made it a piece of shit today. Let's start again on Tuesday, you know. So like, there was more days of that than there was like, oh, it's better. Oh, it's better because like, that's the difference between a good test rider and a bad test rider. Is like you take a kid that's seventeen riding for Orange Brigade or Team Green and you put him on like a factory bike it's just going to be perfect because it's got the shiny graphics and the mm. coded stuff where like my bike, I'm like, I was paid to complain. Like I wasn't paid to give them high fives. I was paid mm. to complain. Right. And if I came, it's perfect. If the bike's perfect, then, then you're not doing that good of a job. job. So like, it's like, you're like a auditor essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're like the dude that's trying to find the fucking, 
you know, like yeah. order or like catch out a business that's like trying to do dodgy yeah. shit, right? Yeah. So like, then that was like my whole my whole twenties basically. I, I I got to do that, and like I got into my thirties, and I'm 38 now, and and I didn't stop like training, and I didn't stop riding, and like I had little goals. Like if I'm gonna ride this damn much, I need to have goals. Like I need mm. to. I need to race mountain bikes and do this goal and moto stuff. I'm still going to ride at a high level. So I'd like, I want to win mammoth. I want to win two stroke world championship. I want to mm. win these little one-off like regional events. And then it what happened was that our product at KTM was getting better. And I was uncannily getting better in my thirties. Mm. Like I was faster at 35, 36 than I was at 28. Dude, why is it like, I'm finding that now that I'm like more driven. I'm more competitive. I'm more, willing to work i'm like like i've i look back now especially with the whole jiu-jitsu thing this year i'm like where the fuck was all this when you like were obsessed with motocross like and it was i don't know what like is it a maturity thing is it like i've faced so many hardships in my life to where this doesn't feel that hard anymore and when i was a kid there wasn't hardships in the same sense you know what so like your reference of what hard is was like the baseline was so low but now i feel like my baseline of like what's actually hard in life is so high so it's, it's weird though right that like you get into your because th- i just turned 30 yep and it's like why am i your best years you're ahead of you man it's fucking weird though no you're your best i mean i got guys like even mc mcgrath mcgrath's pushing closer to 50 than he's closer to 40 that's crazy and he can throw a knack better than bigger than anyone in the world still right and I just like I got more of a reputation and I used to honestly be real sensitive of it again of like dude are people thinking I'm trying to like like make a resurgence of a moto career but my equipment was getting better because of my work like Mm. I was getting bikes that were production bikes that were and the volume was still very high so guys that I was racing against in their 30s weren't putting the volume in yeah right like I remember when I beat Travis Preston at Vet Worlds in Tedesco and they were fuming because yeah. if you were to put us three together in our prime like in our, in our I'd say our prime in the heyday when I was racing in stadiums they'd lap me yeah. sometimes so for like Mike Sleater to run them down and pass them they were not okay with it well, you would have been on 350 too I was when you won that yeah yeah and then like like to race Coppins dude like Coppins probably honestly didn't even know who I was yeah I mean he shouldn't and when I passed him and beat him and he was not pumped like <laughs> and and like I was at Vet Worlds at Glen Helen two years ago and like I knew who Coppins was because I'm a student and I'm a fan. fan, I'm a fan. I'm a fucking fan of his. And it's like for me to beat him, like I wanted to high five him, but I knew he was not happy with his, his personal performance. He wasn't pissed at me. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't throwing a tantrum like in a poor sportsmanship way. But he would have not known. He was like, who the fuck is this dude that just smoked me? Like, he just, he would not have known. But, like, I, I was putting the volume in on, because my job allowed for that type of riding all mm. the time, three days a week. And Glen Helen is my backyard, so we're on that track. But that's what that volume was there. And then the talent sustained itself. And I was... Maybe got better. Maybe got better. And the commitment in my 30s was more structured. That goes into our, like the, your age. I think when you're older, like you get a little more structure. You know what you can and can't do. Like you're not late for shit. You're fucking on time. Like yeah. you, you only, you, you've learned by failure and, and fix those things, right? Yeah. When you're young, I learned by failure. I didn't have some, me unfortunately didn't have an Alden Baker or a sensei going, don't do that. Cause that's going to happen. I go, Oh shit, that happened. I'm hurt for six to eight weeks. I won't do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, like, so run me through. I'm, like, really interested to know about the, like, testing process, especially uh. in, like, the early days. Like, when you go to do a test, like, what sort of stuff are you 
testing. Like, so like, let's talk to talk the 05, 06 KTM link, non linkage PDS yeah. bikes, you know? So we didn't have good traction motors. Like I didn't do a ton of motor work cause they were pretty damn good then. Like, so were, why did they get the motors so right? Uh, it, a lot of it was just the parts, the parts they put in them are high level parts. So, and so what do you mean? Like good like cams, good pistons, good, good valves. Materials. Yeah. Okay. The, like they'll use a uh, Dell West valves, which is titanium valves, which pro circuit puts in their race bikes. Doesn't come stock with those. Mm. KTM was putting those in there. They had bearingless cranks. So There's no drag on the crank. So they had, things would rev up quicker. The durability was way better. The, the induction, like they made race engines. They didn't made like a, they didn't make like a, Oh, hop up engine. Right, yeah. like, they, like oh, this this motor can make thirty six horsepower, but if you put a different cam, like no, we want to make a forty two horsepower motor, like from John Smith to buy. Yeah. So they just went after it that way and had these like really aggressive cams, really aggressive cranks, like that they want to make sure it lasts. So we didn't have to do a bunch of engine work to be honest. Like early days, not a ton of stuff. So is it not that hard to make a bike fast? I, for those guys, I don't think it is. I don't think I don't think the horsepower is a problem. I think the type of horsepower you make is the problem. Because in 2010, when they made the new KTM 450, the thing was a heavy anchor weight, and it almost destroyed the company. No, I'm sorry. I'm apologize. 07. Mm. 07. The there was an all new engine that came out because our 450 was like that a, engine was huge, right? Huge. The yeah. chassis had to be redesigned because the, I remember that thing was stood up like. It looked like a fucking 700 or yeah, something, Yeah, what happened was they hired a guy from Indy, IndyCar racing or Formula uh, One racing, like, hey, build us this horsepower breathing dragon. Literally, they gave him a budget and a room and he stood by himself and he came out eight months later. Was, Ta-da, look at this engine. And the thing was as lethargic and heavy as it looked. It made a ton of horsepower, but it was just, just not, didn't work. didn't work. So like, we, but you had to marry yourself to that for you know a period of time. You couldn't just put a new engine in it. And mentally, like, did you have to get your head around the fact that it was a fucking turd? I, you, I really struggled with that bike. Like, really? I, if it was tacky, I couldn't turn it. I put a 125 clutch on it to get it to feel lighter, like, so it like, actually slip so I could turn it because when I let out the clutch, it just go straight because the whole motor was built by gears. So there was no timing chain. So the motor would only go together in a part one direction, like, because it's all geared. So when those gears were driving forward, it was just moving, rotating mass, ro- rotating mass pushing going, you. pushing forward. Yeah, okay, okay. So it was so heavy feeling just, oh, and the, the old motor. And like, even when you hit the brakes, it just still feels like it's fucking going, right? Exactly. So they, they did improve it over that time, like until the new motor came out in, in 15, you yeah. know, but so it, they kept that motor for that long. Yeah. The chassis changed a little bit. Um, that's crazy that like it was a roach and they, 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 they went, that's it. when they went to the 350. So all the energy uh, went towards the 350. That was going to be the come all say all, you know? Um, and, uh, it, it just, to this day, the Ty Simmons had, he raced the 350 and supercross for JDR. And then for the outdoors, he said, I want a 450. So then they like switched everything over. And then me and Jay had a 350 that was just sitting in our garage. It was like a works 350 hands down. Best bike I've ever ridden in my life. Yeah, I would say I would but agree. I'm not Ken Roxon or Ryan Dungey, but in terms of like if I was to go right now and buy a motorcycle from a dealership, I would buy a KTM 350. 100 percent Yeah, it's 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 a it's a bike that is incredible. Anyone can ride that bike, man. Yeah, it, it feels came like out, a two fifty, but 
but it's way faster. But the it's not the 450 yank your arms out fast. It's like it's just like a super good torquey 250. So going back to your question, how a test works, right? Mm. 350 comes out. Okay, we were delivered the first 350 Gen One. How long did you know about the 350 before it came out? Two, two years before it came so out. So that was like. I feel like the 350 was like one of the biggest news things that's ever happened bike wise since maybe like, like it's probably bigger than EFI really. Like Dude, that was huge. Man. I, I would be at the tracks with like top lights guys and the bike was really good straight away. And I'd be at the track say like, let's get uh one of the top guy code guys like Bogle or mm. Wilson right back when that bike was coming out in there in the top of the prime. And I go down into Talladega and the thing sounded like a 250F kind of, right? And I go just blowing by them into Talladega and they would lose their shit. Like, how's Sleater passing me on this 250 past me? And then we'd like, we wouldn't like hide it. Like, if you're hiding something, people want to like look. look. So we would just be on top of the hill, like no big deal, not talking about it, not making a big deal about it. And just Bones would be two box vans over in the PC van. Guy could be two box vans over, you know? GYTR be down bottom of the hill with all closed up and we're on an open practice day and I'd just be shredding the thing and no one even knew for a year that I was riding a, like a state of the art 350 dirt bike and I fell in love with the thing man like I that's my best races have been on a 350 like straight up it's my well you're not bike. a big dude either no and I, I ride I rev the bike a little more like and when I was testing, I'd ride a 125 on a Tuesday, a 450 on a Wednesday, and a three. You know, I was bouncing around so much. Uh. So like the 350 for me was just like the easy bike to get on, and because a 450 you have to ride it like a 450. Yeah. Like a 125, you have to ride it like a 125. Yeah. And the 350 you could just ride it like like whatever, whatever you, you want. Yeah. So that's why it worked for me, I think, more yeah. than anything. But um, yeah, just typical test day. Like we show up, we'd have a plan, obviously, and I would uh. I get into it, man. Do a sight lap on a reference setting, a reference bike. So you have two bikes. So you have a reference um, bike that's like the, the one that stays the same throughout the day. We have that, but we don't use that like probably every couple of weeks. Okay. And then we would have like the, the final production, say if we were in 2019, we'd have the 2019 reference bike that I'd ride. And then we finish that for 19 so that, okay, here's all the settings. Here's the bike. It comes out in the storeroom floors. We'd actually get one just like a consumer from R&D. It'd sit on a stand and we'd be working as soon as that we like signed off the Excel spreadsheet that this is the settings for chassis. These are the cams we want, ECU we want. We'd start working on 2020, 2021. So those guys now are working on 2021, not like 2020 is already. So there's like a cutoff day. So like it's an 18 and then it's like, okay, so by this day, it's going to be a 19. And once it's a 19, you can't fuck with it. Yep. Now you get to work on 20. 20. 20. So then yeah. we... Yeah, so, so then you're just like this constant... Yeah. So then we'd start on 20 and we'd work mainly... Like everything in North America is mainly chassis. Like fork, shock, fork tube thicknesses. So we'd like... If I'm complaining about, say, slap down landings, like, it's oh, it's hard in my hand. I want it better. So they'd work on clamp direction. Is it, Let's try new clamps. Does that fix that? And then we'd do, say, two weeks of that. Then I'd grab the 19 final production mm. bike, bring it out, and go... Uh, not nah, like it's not as good or it's, it's about the same. So like, there's a lot of days where I'm like, ah, I can't tell like it, all that work you guys did today. I'm sorry. I can't tell a big difference either way. Mm. Like, I don't want to send them down a path. Like it's better. It's better. It's not better. So Fuck, like honesty would have like, you'd have to have like brutal honesty yeah, to do and, the job because and, like, if you don't want to, it's like, you know how hard they're working on that bike, but you don't want to be just padding people's egos because yeah. you know the work that went into it. It's like, but I guess then that's where, 
dude, maybe that's why KTM's just doing so well is because yeah. there's so many people that their egos aren't tied into a day-to-day like yeah. operational sort of thing. Yeah, and it was crazy because my brother was the guy I reported to. Uh, my older brother, he's eight years older than I am, and he was the head crew chief for the group, and then Casey Lytle's the manager, and uh, a couple other guys came through the chassis department, but um, they trusted me, like, 100%. Like, they trusted my feedback, and I trusted them. Like, I trusted them in my life that bike wouldn't shut off on me when we were trying stuff, and they trusted me that when we go down a path for a long time that I wouldn't send them down the bumpy road and then it would be lost, you know? Mm. And they have that same group of passionate guys in Austria, and they have that same group of passionate guys in Australia. Mm. Like, the KTM group, like, globally and is super passionate like there's accountability to the people mm. like they know that things will ha- change if there needs to be changed and people are complaining they will they will try to change it like they will give it an honest nudge and try to change it so like it just takes it takes a lot of time a lot of money um but it takes a vision from someone to make sure there's going down a road because mm. we were told like uh at one year we were told all the bikes have to have the same settings in them they just have different springs we're like really like they had that the same shim stack and the fork and shock, but we needed to have the same springs. Mm. So like at 125, it had the same valving, and then it just have like a 4.2. Then the 250 to have a 4.6 spring yeah, rate, right. and they just wanted to save costs because they it was a budget thing, and yeah. we we're like we're gonna get hammered. So like we we did our best, and we didn't people didn't even know like the settings were the same. And then oh, so you guys did do that. We did do that because like they wanted to make sure that they could get their the production line quick enough like all these different and then we had a one year that we were having to um uh we could only use a certain amount of shims really we we couldn't use 20 shims we could only use five whatever that number was we could only use that many so my boss's hands were tied up like all right well i'm gonna have to get really creative like and he got the job done right but we had to face little things like that it wasn't just like whatever you want to make the bike better because we had constraints and yeah so like it, it takes a lot and and now i can say like where our sport is today and the cost of bikes i'm a super fan of what the ktm group does with Husqvarna KTM but I think we're it's over the top now it's it's actually it's actually put the industry in 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 strive because everyone's chased them yeah everyone's chased them down Honda Cowie electric start hydraulic clutch the barrier to entry to buy a motorcycle is not what it was man it's not what it it should be it's too expensive there I would not have to change a Cowie or a Honda or a KTM really to go race a national Mm. like you don't need that like for the general consumer. So I think the price has gotten too high because these groups are so damn good from Yamaha and Honda. Mm. Everyone's getting so it's good. The competition's just elevated the, the sport to a level. Elevated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's elevated the sport. And now it's like, oh, fuck. Well, it's sick for Eli Tomac on a race day, but now people can't afford to ride. Yep. And we don't have we don't have full gates at races. And, and we don't have budget to pay other riders. And, and we it, don't, yeah. Yeah. It, it, that goes into that racing aspect of like, now the bikes have gotten so good. The test riders have done their job. The engineers have done their job. But now, and the competitiveness and the, the high up, the GMs, like you can't let KTM be better than us. And that competitive nature in business has taken our bikes to where they should be. They're probably 30% higher than they need to be in price for our cons- for. Because at the end of the day, we're a bunch of dudes that ride dirt bikes in a field. Mm. We're not, the, the families that aren't engineers and medical device builders and lawyers that own dirt bikes. They're, they're a middle class type of people. Man, that's the thing that like, that's another thing that blew me away when I went to the US was like, motocross is a redneck fucking sport. 
absolutely and and that was i think one of the reasons why you see teams go because it's like you it looks sexy right like it looks super sexy on tv looks sexy in the pits and there's the monster girls and there's the toyota girls but it's like the people that are rolling through the gates can barely afford the ticket and if they can barely afford the ticket to a1 how the fuck are they spending thirteen thousand dollars on a four fifty, and then like eight thousand dollars for it? Like, dude, the KTM sixty five or whatever is like so insanely priced for what it is, and it's like it's not to talk shit. I'm sure there's a reason why it's that much money, but it's like, yeah, you want to talk about barriers of entry? Like, you're not playing to like the wealthy one percent of, well, like it's priced in the one percent. But the reality of, like, the demographic, they're not the one percenters. Like, they're the dudes that can, like, barely afford to get there. They're drinking Natty Light and riding in a field. Yeah, like, okay, so you have a guy that... If you go through any motorcycle dealership that are making... So the guy's making an America standard is making 70 grand a year, which would be a lot for, like, a oh, man... that's a big money dude for, in America. Yeah, for making, like, working at a dealership, he's not taking his kid to motorci- motorcycle races. Mm-hmm. The guy at the motorcycle shop should be able to go to the motorcycle races, but he's not. Mm-hmm. It's in for me. I barely could afford to buy my kid a KTM fifty. Like it's four. It was forty three hundred dollars my US my cost for a KTM fifty for my son, who's learning to ride a KTM fifty. Like he's not some ripper on a PW, and yeah. like he just has fun rides a couple races here and there. And it's like that's a lot of money, and I'm I'm getting a deal, so I'm like, at least I only own it and I'll sell it and I'll recoup like. You know, eighty yeah, percent of that. Lose a lot of money but out. it's like, how how do people? How do we expect to get new riders? We don't have new riders in the sport, and how do we get new riders in the sport? Is well, we need to bring the barrier of entry down. You yeah. know, we're like mountain biking. Everyone goes mountain bikes are or so expensive are the same. Well, yeah, but doctors and lawyers exactly. Are, it's a different crowd. It's a different crowd that they're the ones doing it. Dirt bikes are inherently dangerous. Like so are mountain bikes, but it's not perceived that way, yeah. right? motocross is a redneck sport people are drinking natty light and, mm-hmm. and have tattoos and, and and that's my crowd but we got to change that's our, not a big money that's crowd. not a big yeah. money crowd there's a couple rich construction guys that want to do this right yeah. and they have the money but numbers are down like numbers are down on new unit sales but the entry-level class my kid was racing the mini major at uh milestone and there were 43, four to six year olds racing the 50 class, which was like, I was astonished and so hyped, but it's because those are all old units people bought, like, mm. and they're doing it. So when they get to the 85 class on a KTM or Huskies, $7,200 or six grand, they're going to exit stage left. Yeah. They're, they're going to buy one Can-Am. Or they're going to buy an O1 one Cowie. Yep. And then they're just going to go, look, let's just ride them also on Tuesdays. Yep. We can't afford yep. to do anything Exactly. Else. Yep. And then the gear comp, everyone loses. So I, that's my opinion. I think we're just overpriced our industry. Like the bikes have gotten so damn good for a guy that can afford them that like realistically, what, what can I do to a KTM to make it better? Put a Henson cover on it so it doesn't scratch. Mm. I don't even need inter- Henson internals. Like put an FMF pipe so it's tie and a little lighter. Like and it just sounds better. It looks sounds better. better it looks better. And, and Donnie's my friend and it looks rad. But like, I really don't have to touch those bikes. I don't work for them anymore. Like this is yeah. not a sales thing. A new Cowie with the new spring fork, electric start and hydraulic clutch. What do I got to do to fix that thing? Nothing. I can't, nothing probably. I haven't ridden yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be pretty dialed. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like the whole, the, the one of the big debates is like the whole two stroke thing because it's like, how easy was that shit to huh. do? Like my dad just, so we did like the, we did like our own little screaming Eagle project. We got a 98 CR 252 stroke. 
and then we put that into a 2010 CRF 450. So like we just fucking did the whole conversion so deal. Rad. But like I blew the thing up and then dad's like, eh, fuck it. Put a new barrel, new crank. Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, we'll just put on your shit in it. Yeah. It was like not a big deal at all. Yeah, and, and, it, and it doesn't like... But if I grenade a four... Like, so the, the that 450, Maddie grenaded that thing at Fink, and it's like, never run again. Because it's like three grand to fix it. Yeah, you, buy, you just buy a new bike. But yeah, that's what dad says. Like, well, and that's why we did it, because it's like, well, what? We're going to fix this fucking shit, now shit 450, or should we just spend two grand? So we bought a whole new bike for two grand, took that motor out, put it in the 450, which obviously it was work, but... But it's like, that was still cheaper than fixing an old-ass 2010 450 motor that sucks anyway. Yeah. And, in and, comparison to and now. And you have a story about building a bike with your pops yeah. and your brother, right? Where if I go buy a, a KX 450 that was two years old, what can I really work on? Yeah. I, I don't have a laptop, which, once again, I'm stoked the technology where it's at to, for me to ride. But I like to tinker. I like to work on my shit. I like to make it better. I'm going to probably make the bikes worse working on it myself because I'm not an engineer so like you're you're really taking the crowd like that working class dude that likes to tinker on his shit you're taking that whole fun factor away from him but our industry keeps pushing away from the two strokes like Red Bull and the straight rhythm we talked a little bit about that at Oz X it's like they're bringing that back they're bringing the simplicity back to what like the crowd wants to see because the crowd can relate to that yeah. the crowd can't relate to Eli Tomac's traction control yeah in and the hard work those teams have engineers doing stuff and the data acquisition and like the barrier entry is so high for racing. Like the kids racing the, the B class. Now there's TLD has a factory kid on a factory bike. Geico has a factory kid mm. with Carson Mumford and Joe Shimoda and um, PC gives like one kid a year, some really good shit to go racing. Well, how's the kid that's coming through it? just puts the volume, has the talent and has the dedication, but has dad's bike. How is he going to compete with the kid that's got the fucking factory Geico mm. bike? That's got to stop too. Parent, it, parents are like, I can't play. Like, I can't play with them. Like, yeah. and you, I'm sorry, you can't. Yeah. You can't. There, there's a weird thing too with like, I mean, it seems like now, and we, I spoke to Chad about this on the podcast, like, we're in a weird spot to where, and I fucking love Jason anderson as a friend and like eli i don't really know that well i know marv well a super nice guy but they're just not chad reed and they're not ricky carmichael and they're not james stewart and we don't have these like super fucking stars we don't yeah, have we a don't, superstar like dude and every kid in australia had a chad reed bedspread that raced motocross like oh, i had a fucking chad reed bedspread i had posters i had, but like it just it seems like the cultures change and i think that when you like so say with like carson mumford right like i just know what i'm getting with that kid from a 12 year old like i'm over him by the time he's pro and it sucks and it's not his fault it's not yeah that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah, not yeah. his fault at no. all he does and he does like, a good job right like he's doing a good he's doing as good as he yeah. can he's doing as good as he should yep. and if you want to be good and you want to you want to take these factory rides but like but when i'm seeing this kid from when he's 11 on this geico bike and then he goes pro like i just don't i kind of don't give a fuck and it sucks like but then when it's like this chad reed's coming over from the the gps and him and james are talking mad shit and it's like you, there's this unknown thing that's going on with like who is this chad reed guy and then he doesn't really talk to anyone so like no one knows what he's really thinking is he really a dick like there was just 
and the, the rivalry got built up and it wasn't in this political politically correct era and it's like even the MC and the Emig thing and it's like Ricky dethroning the king and it's like we had these errors and it's like if you go all the way back through the sport you've got like the you got the um, Stanton era you got the Ricky Johnson Johnson era you got the beast from the east you got like we talk in hindsight and it's like maybe I'm wrong maybe we'll talk about the Eli Tomac era but I don't think we will I I, I don't think we will dude James uh, sorry uh, RV and Dunge they're like borderline not even an error that we're going to talk about either. I, I, I think I, I think the James, Ricky, and Chad error, that's to, as of right now, I don't see anyone coming through that's going to like, we're going to have like, oh, that error was crazy. But on the flip side, you see what El Hombre is doing with his social media and like how rad he is as a person. And then you got Dean doing his vlogging shit, AC doing his vlogging thing. It's like, it's different and it's, they're fucking cool, but I don't feel like we're gonna. I'm having this like error talk of like, oh, dude, the yeah. this error. Like, I don't know. Well, it's, like, I mean, you look at it, and and um, but, I got to race the dudes like Villapoto and Jason Lawrence, right? People still like. There's guys that still want to see Jason Lawrence race, and he's a legend because he was a dick. Yeah, because he caused controversy. We're like. Is there that now? Like Barsha, I think almost is like almost the biggest superstar because he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like when him and Cooper, like Cooper yeah. Webb, like Cooper Webb has a shot. Maybe he's kind of bland, but he kind of uh, doesn't give. I just, a, fuck, it's I, I don't. I just don't see. It. I think that there's like the. It's like the control that that. Maybe it's like the control that the factories have over these dudes, and like they've got this there's like a blanket that they can throw and like really control these guys. And it's like, you will fucking lose your job. Do not say anything. Whereas back in the day, who's going to tell Chad Reed to shut the fuck up. And like, how, how, how were they going to tell him? Like he was talking to someone, someone told someone verbally, like Chad was talking to someone at the races or, you know, Dom made and he's like, yeah, fuck Emig or fuck McGrath. Like I'll smoke them. Like I'm coming up. Like whoever the next dude was like, I don't care who James Stewart is. Like I'm, I'm from, from Curry, Curry, Australia. And like, I went to the GPs and sacrificed my chick. And now I'm coming over here and taking names. So they dominate. I went to someone like, dude, this guy's pissed. He's yeah. like, so like now it's like social media warriors. These kids have to deal it to their defense, have to deal with, like yeah. you said, that control. Yeah. Like of, of like Geico and you know, these guys like, man, why'd you say that on that kid's, why'd you slide it in that kid's DM and talk shit? Like, yeah. and I think there's one kid that like, globally is just unlike tapped there's one guy Who? justin cooper oh yeah you didn't right. even think about no, him right no he has no social media presence he's super quiet and he is a savage on the track like he he's is a savage he guy. he came out like and all these parents tell me like i don't have a chance to beat carson i don't have a chance to beat michael mosman or mitchell falk on these these are amateur kids in america because yeah. i'm on a factory bike I don't have a chance to beat him. And this kid two years ago came out to like the amateur nationals on like a kind of a pile of crap Yamaha program and handed everyone, like, every track just straight out straight attitude and just didn't give a shit and was ready and just got a ride. So if you can do it, like he, he, he did it. Like yeah. it still can happen. It's few and far between, but he's not like a personality, you know? And, and I, I respect that. He just lets his action speak for his words. If he threw some fuck you in there and like, yeah. and like had some, like, I don't care about these like dudes that have their own vlogs and their own shit, like kind of stirred the pot. He's would just like, 
but you can't teach that. Yeah. Right. True. Like there's no Emigos. There's no, you know, Fresno smooth anymore. That's not going to happen. Like yeah. now you have trans world that just launched like the life between two factory kits with Joe Shimoda and Carson Mumford. Like that's the standard. How does a kid that's 15 or 16 to 18 feel that go race Carson Mumford and Joe Shimoda when they see the infrastructure those kids have earned? Yeah. They have earned it. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. You can't but, take it away from them. But it's not, it's not like the same as playing football or soccer, the kid doesn't have the same tools, yeah. right? They have different tools. They've earned these tools, but then the tools accelerate them so much that like, I, I think it's just counterproductive for the factories because now they're, they know what they're, they don't really know what their investment's going to be because the equipment they're on so much better. Yeah. Like if they're all in level playing field, you'd really see. you really see. see. Yeah, that makes sense. You'd really see, right? Like when you get on a mat in jujitsu, like a certain gi is not going to let you outperform no. somebody, right? No. You're going to see the talent, yeah. like in the hard work and the dedication where like a Geico bike or a star Yamaha or a TLD KTM and amateur racing. That's going to give that's you, going to give you yeah. a whole shot. Yeah. Because you're as good as the other kids, but like the, 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 the law of average is that bikes pretty much didn't get to the first turn before dad, you know, dad's bike that he built in the garage. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And then you're really not seeing like, how does this kid deal with adversity? How did, like he well, he gets every fucking hole shot, right? So like, it's like, what is this guy really made of? Yeah, Ryan Morris. You know, I can say it openly, his shit was so much better than us when we were kids. And when he got to Motor World Suzuki, which was a kind of a crappy team when we were growing up, dude, he didn't do that good. Yeah, he didn't. But when he got to Mitch Payton's bike. Dude, he lost, unfortunately, two championships by, like, one point. Yeah. So, like, when he got back on a good equipment and good structure, it all came back to fruition, you know? Yeah. But when he was felt, you know, gave diversity in okay bikes, eh, he wasn't exceptionally better. What's it, like, is there a way to regulate it? Like, is the stock class, like, so say even when you race, like, the stock class at Loretta's, like, does that level it out? Or yeah, are they, they changed, still running, like, they good shit? They changed that to be... To, to limit it so it's limited to what you can do because they don't want protests which I agree with them so it's it's really run what you brung and, and they they, they but like what can you do to the bike in that stock class you can do as much as you want now pretty much the motors like you can't touch the motor like you can do suspension because of safety um, and the motor packages you can't touch the motors but you can't measure valve seat cuts you can't measure deck height like at that race so people they just made the class structure to where it's like we just don't want protests yeah. We just don't want to protest. Like, like let these kids race and the, the people turn the blind eye to it. And like, it's basically a stop stock pipe class. Like they can't measure ECU. Uh, like you can change the ECUs yourself. Like you yeah. can on a computer now. Like, so you really, you don't need a vortex. So you can go on your tuning tool if you have a good tuner. So like these stock bikes are, and then the suspension makes such a good difference. Yeah. Like big yeah. Difference. So, I mean, these, there is kids that will come through, but there's really no stock and mod anymore as we say it. Yeah. It's, it's called the limited in other class, right? Which yeah. um, MX Sports does a pretty damn good job with it. Um, uh, going through that process with them when I was doing the Orange Brigade. But it, it, the sport is going back. It's just in a bad place with like the barrier to entry. And it, it's not, it doesn't seem possible for a middle class family to go racing dirt bikes anymore at the end do it at like a high level that's and, gonna and to make yeah. it i think the villa potos and you know villa poto didn't have a fa- didn't have a factory ride till he showed up on a factory bike he was a team green rider dunge didn't have a factory ride till he he was on his dad's bike and but Ryan- you look at like you look at that right so you got like who was 
in that world. It was like a lessee that had everything, Philo that had nothing. Nothing. Who's the dude that career panned out better? Dunge didn't have anything. And then at the start, you look at like, it was like AC and Cooper. And not that, like Cooper always had good shit, but he was never like the a on AC's level, oh. like spent his Adam's oh, career Cooper's, getting whooped. Cooper's 150 was a turd compared to Adam's three hour maximum Mitch Payton's piece of machinery right really so that thing had like three hours and then it was yep done so like yeah so cooper's bike was like a jgr 150 which you can't make a big bore so the 150 super mini is can race the 85 the 150 super mini is still just an 85 yeah where the 85 two-stroke can be bored to a 114 112 Uh. so those super mini 150s cannot compete with the two-stroke super minis Mm. so like little hunter yoder who is now on the geico 150 he's getting he's having a hard time like privateer kids are beating him but people are taking that ride for the future of the 250f yeah yeah so like they know and it's kind of worked in the opposite for geico they're putting these kids on this 150 knowing like they know that it's the odds are stacked against them on it. It's amazing piece of machinery. Like Kibby's got a custom aluminum tank. It's got KTM forks. It's got a oh, really? K- KTM throttle body, aluminum tank. The thing's fuel injected or it's carb like it's, it's a full factory 150 Honda, but it's still not as still good not as good, yeah. it's still not as good. Cause it kept to stay in that displacement. And, and they, but they know that they, they know that Geico knows that they just want to wrap a kid up because it's so competitive in the States that, you People, need that kid at you, ten. Or you 12. need that ten at kid, kid, ten at kid at ten or twelve, or you're never going to get them. Yeah. So they and then they see the diversity. Carson struggled on that 150, and now he's ripping. He won two titles at Loretta's on the on 250F, yeah. and it's coming to fruition because he's been beating his head against the wall for you know two years on the so different ways to skin a cat. But then Team Green scaled their whole program down to where they have like Styles Robertson, who maybe might be the next thing. Handmaker might get the ride, but Mitch, I agree with what he does. He doesn't guarantee a kid shit until they like prove themselves. Mm. Where TLD wraps up like the kid early, and they they bring him through different business model. You know, yeah. they wrap and Geico same thing. They wrap him up early, but let's just let the kids race, and then when they, whoever's the best, let them not get signed till they go to the gates. In my opinion, yeah, but like fuck, it's just like it's just with any market dude it, 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 it's anything from yeah. soccer to it's that's it's literally just a free market economy like you are gonna do if you're selling a product and it means the best dude is gonna sell that product then you need to do whatever it can and it's like okay this guy's signing this dude at 15 well fuck i'm gonna get the guy at 14 and then i'm gonna get the guy at 13 and it just keeps going back and it's like it's got to the point where it's absurd and it's like what are we gonna start signing 50 kids but like was car i feel like carson mumford was on a 50 and signed oh he was i signed him like once brigade when he was when he was nine years old 10 year, no, ten, nine, nine years old yeah but like you're the dude that's the team manager of orange brigade you, your income I, I have a job to do yeah your income is like hey sleeter this is going to be like your project and we really want to win and then we want to lock these kids down for ktm uh, so yeah, man, go nuts. And you're like going, well, fuck do it. I got to now sign a contract to a nine year old. My last contract that I got to do was with Hayden Deegan. Really? Yeah. Danger oh, boy. D- Perfect danger season. Boy. And, and Brian and his family have done an app. I mean, there are an marketing empire. Like they, what they do, their structure. Dude, how crazy is what Haley's about to do? Oh, Haley. It, it gives me goosebumps, man. Like I met with Brian. Far I met out. with, I met with Brian for breakfast about a month ago and he basically said, like everything is strategized with their family program, with the kids and the timing. And Haley is like, she's a triple threat. Like it goes back to that volume. 
Mm. He's putting he's put the volume in with her. She's driving razors to pro like the the trophy carts now pro pro lights and short course, um go uh, NASCAR. She's driving all the time. Her Jeep like she's at home doing everything, and then she he makes sure she's in the right equipment. And then clearly she's she got, got the, the talent. talent. Yeah, and her social media stat it's be um. It'll blow people's minds. I did not realize that she's she was she could be number one now. She was number two, the highest ranked social stat for NASCAR. She had more f- social media following than any like Jeff uh, Jeff Gordon, um, uh, Jimmy Johnson, any of these big NASCAR greats. More than Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dude. Her social media stats were better than everyone but one person. I don't know who that one person is. But NASCAR is in a bad way in the States and they're relying on the girl, that girl, that girl's going to do big things, man. It's insane, man. Like, and, uh, like, I like to know her, um, or like, and Brian's management. And like, he was telling me we're, we're playing golf actually with Hammer and he was like, dude, you just don't know. Like, you just don't know what's coming for that chick. Yeah, and she all, all earned, all strategize, earned, like, can't fake it. Did not fake it till you make it. She's, nah. she, their program, like, people like are envious of them and, and think they have things because their dad. Well, guess what? They have things from their dad because he works 20 hours a day. Dude, yeah, he's a sap. Man, I've like, I remember going to Deegan's house my first ever trip to America. I went there with Cade Mosig and Josh Hansen. And uh, that's, I was, that's a good crowd there, dude. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I was so fucking intimidated, man. Like we drove into the compound, and there was like the metal militia wall ride thing they used to have, and the foam pit, the supercross track. And I was like so nervous to meet Deegan, and I'm like not the dude. I never get starstruck with anyone. Like I've met so many fucking people, and uh, but he was like, I was intimidated. And then I like he walks out. He was actually working on his trophy truck. He's like, "What's that, man?" And I'm just like, "Holy fuck, you're actually the nicest person in the world." And like, just talk to me for ages. It's just like this random fucking eighteen year old kid, nope, and he's- the nicest guy ever. And I always was like, "What?" Well, he played the heel really like through his career of like X Games. So like, he kind of he was smart enough to know that like, all right, I'm gonna be the heel here because people will pay to see me lose but that's okay because they're still paying to see me and so I was like yeah fuck digging I'm team Pastrana all the way you know and it was crazy like even on the Travis podcast he's like man I had no idea Deegan was playing all of us Deegan had this fucking plan that just unraveled my life out in front of me and all I had to do was be myself and that was all curated by the general yep. and it's like and now he's doing the same thing with his kids it's yeah. crazy he's so smart yeah, he is, and what's like it just goes. I use those those three words, you know. Mm, the volume, I really like that volume, sacrifice, talent, sacrifice, and you know, Hayden wanted to be a dirt biker. You can tell, like Danger Boy, the kid just loves it. Eh? He loves it. He wanted to backflip. Brian doesn't make his kids do anything. Like Brian would not want his kid to backflip if not, I had to guess. Would not, and his kids, his surroundings, the people that like. But you can't, me having two young boys, seven and five, I'm watching like my boys, how different they are. And, and Brian has kids, obviously three kids of his own and they're all different in their own right. And he's, he's developing in them in their own person. So damn well, I'm sorry, not just him, him and his wife and the whole damn family. Yeah. Let's get that straight. Right. Like there's that mama there that's in the back, just, just taking care of everything else. And, uh, 
their family is so successful because they got this like this, this sacrifice gene and this talent gene. Yeah. And little Huxon, he's just entertaining the youngest because on social media I follow him because it's like, what's he? What's his thing gonna be? Like you He'll know, be like the Jake Paul. Of yeah, yeah, he's he's doing it. You know, so it's like, you know, this Brian talking about intimidating when I was trying to had to sign Hayden Deegan to like to, oh. a, to a 50 contract I was so scared because I just knew Brian as as Brian right and like the general and I'm like man I, he knew of me I knew of him I'm like dude this is gonna be so gnarly he's gonna want like 85 motorcycles and ten thousand dollars in parts and I'm like all I got is four units for him and maybe even two and I'll give him two thousand parts and it's gonna be insult to the Deegans he's like thanks Mike that's perfect and he wouldn't answer the phone just text me back and I'm like he hates me and he's like I don't have time to talk. I just got a text and he's like, yeah, four bikes is fine. That's fine. We're going to buy some more. It doesn't matter how many, how much can I buy them for? I'm like, I really appreciate you being easy. My brain's like, no, we just want the best, best product for our kids to be on. It's not really about the, the yeah. amount. Like he fully has an understanding of everything they're doing and for the future. So I'm interested to see with, with danger boy and Hayden where, where Hayden goes once he's off the super mini, mm. this will be in two years what big bike will they go to? Because if they just want the best shit. Yeah. Cause they're all damn good. Right. And yeah. then that, that path starts of to where he's going to be on that bike into his pro career. Yeah. Cause I know monster obviously is a family sponsor. Is Cowie going to get him? Is star going to get him? Like, mm. like I'm sitting back and I'm waiting. Cause like right now he's on the best product. KTM has the best 85. Yeah. That's why he's on it. Yeah. That's not an argument either. It's not an argument. We, I, I can say it. And Cowie, He's not going to win titles on a Cowie against Hayden Deegan on a KTM. He's not. Is that, is that like, even the best dude is going to struggle to bridge the gap on like a Cowie? On an 85, he won't beat him. Like, Ryder so DeFrancesco. So, does that mean AC was just that good? Um, he, or his he, black he, was? He beat the, he beat that new KTM. He beat the, he, he graduated before the new models started uh, coming through. So, do you think that people would have beat AC on that no, Cowie? No Like, way. he would have just, bridged, like that, that kid was that good. Fuck, he's good. Yeah, he's that good, and he's he's good. I think he has he's still got some good things in him. I think he's got his best years ahead of him still. Man, I like personally have I'm like really close to him as a as a friend, and fuck, I was at Geneva. He crashed right in front of me when he did his shoulder the second time. I was heartbroken <sighs> because he just come off the first one. He like he he was winning that title if his shoulder didn't fuck up. Like, Dav was out. He was winning that first title. Like, I just, man, can you imagine if we could go back in a time machine and have him get, like, third at that race without a crash, without pulling the shoulder out, and, like, it, how different his career is right now? And it's like, and, dude, you could say the same for Dino, man. Like, Dino and Tomac come together, fucks his shoulder. It's like, look at what Tomac's done and look at what Dean has now done. And, like, El Hombre, like, that little universe of those those guys Did Tomac handled Jason his whole amateur career like mm. I watched in 2011 Tomac just laying wood to Anderson Anderson's jersey's untucked his fly gear his um, Volcom lid and just J Tomac would get him last lap on his Geico Honda right yeah right like and Jason's on his team green bike and then look at where we're at now like they've they've come to where like dude Jason's the world champ yeah. Tomac's not, you know, like, and I feel with 
um, being full bench racer, in my opinion, dude, the Cincerellas fucked up so bad chasing Cooper Webb in the outdoors that year. They would have just not had Adam go to the Nationals the year that Cooper did. They would have kept him because he was so small. Yeah. He wasn't ready. Like, Cooper signed with Star, and um, we already knew that Adam was going to go to Pro Circuit. Cooper went to Glen Helen instead of Loretta. Or sorry, Hangtown instead of Loretta's, and they they went. No, we're going to we're going to Hangtown too, dude. Adam was like 105 pounds. Really? And th- he got that. Um, he got sick. He had like what he he got the from raw chicken. What do you call that? Uh, oh, salmonella. Salmonella. Yeah. He got like salmonella, and then they, they didn't get healthy, and then the, that's when the spiral started. It just started, they, yeah. Because then this kid that he's been handing his ass to his whole career, which was Cooper Webb, dude, he's like fifth, fourth, third, one a moto. Like and then the pressure that the mentally that puts on the, Adam. The dad is freaking out. Like the dad is so passionate. Losing it, the world is crushing Adam. He gets hurt, and then every time it's like yeah. he's chasing. I think moving to that, like that, was a move that they, I, on the outside looking in, they fully blew it on. If they would have, because like we can't let Cooper be the superstar. Yeah, we got it. We we've always been better. Well, Cooper was on a, like he was he grew. You know, like yeah, he was just a bigger he, dude. He was a little bit bigger kid, and he Adam wasn't yet. But then you look at him now, and Adam's six foot two, a hundred and you know seventy pounds, and He's he he bitch slapped Cooper in the bar, you know, yeah, like yeah. like. But you 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 look at these timing; like it's all timing and, and decision making. And I think like Cooper got really lucky with like the timing and his size and the pressure, like not to be Adam. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Cooper, oh. it's like who gives a fuck? I'll go to Hangtown. Like everyone's watching. What, yeah, everyone's watching what Adam's doing. Absolutely. Whereas like Adam had to be so calculated the whole time and it was like all the eyes all the then, hype just yeah, like Alessi, Alessi they, they didn't and it goes back to you know, Carson like oh and I told Carson's dad when he was a kid I'm like dude be careful of creating the hype yeah when you create the hype everyone wants to kill you and then you start drinking your own Kool-Aid like like the hype that Adam deserved to have was created by them also mm. and then it just like couldn't wait for Adam to turn pro couldn't wait for Adam to do this where meanwhile Cooper was just sitting back just wait Mm. just wait all I want to do is be Adam all I want to do is be Adam you know Jason all I want to do is be Tomac Tomac and the thing is though too is like when you're the dude that's getting your fucking ass beat in amateurs you can sit there and say well amateurs don't mean shit but it means everything but like and but then to Adam when you're winning it's like I just have to keep winning and it was like that was that next race next race next race whereas Adam had like the whole thing is like oh well fuck Loretta it doesn't mean anything until you're pro and it's like that shift in mentality takes all that pressure off when you can honestly believe that like it doesn't matter to your pro. But if Adam Adam can't sit there and say, nah, none of these Loretta's titles matter. They're like, yeah, fucking I'm the shit. Like, you know, and Adam's not an ego driven dude no. at all. So it's not, but it's just the mindset that you would have had to have and you would have had to put out there. And it was the same thing with Alessi. And it was like, when I go pro, I'm going to do this. And then, but and it's not even like you, it's all the people asking. It's like the Don Maeda's like, What's the storyline? Adam Cincerello is going pro. Adam, next big thing. We all, everyone's looking for the next big thing. We all want that next superstar. And then it's like, as soon as there's a story, like the Dungey, the B-class guy turned pro. Like once there's a story, bro, it's like, mm-hmm. it just gets beat to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and can, Adam was that guy that had that next story. Yeah, and like we're going back to the superstar stuff, like who's that superstar? I'd say like Dino is a superstar because he has... He can use social media. He's real. Like, mm. he's real. And tra- the way he is to me and you is the way he is to the fans. Yeah. 
people can relate. They feel they they feel part of his story, right? Yeah. Adam is is pretty damn close to the same way. Uh, there's others writers that are like you know like you know I'm a huge fan of Christian Craig and and their program, but come on, like pulling the heartstrings any harder, like yeah, like let's dude, like like you are probably the most beautiful dude on a dirt bike. But how many family photos can we see yeah. of you and your kids and your wife? Let's get bring it back to reality. Like we know who has the admin to your social clearly, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <Preach. laughs> so like Adam and Dean and Cooper and Jason, like dude, they're working in the industry is wanting so much of them. Yeah. Like to perform as from an OEM side of thing, the pressure, the fitness, like, are we, I think we're burning these well, guys dude, out. Like, like not, not to spoil the chat thing for you, but that's what he says. Like, dude, we used to do like the parts unlimited thing. And they used to fly us in on helicopters and we get paid bank to be there. And then we'd just fucking lose it for a week. And then we'd do like every single interview that they asked us to do. We'd do everything. And then that was it. It was done. And then we'd go home. And he was like, and we we're on big money to do like less stuff. And now we're on no money to do everything. And like people are pulling these dudes in every direction, and like, man, I'm guilty of it. I text Dean this morning, yo, man's the po- we doing the podcast tomorrow, and it's like, ho- I'm trying to make a thing that like people want to do, but it- I'm still asking them to do stuff. I'm still requesting of the time, and it's like, I don't think the casual fan has any idea of the requests that people put on them, and then you add in like social media to the mix, where it's like people are. Um, commenting oh oh man you never write back to my comments and then like you see the uh you see the thing where like people will like post super fucking gnarly nasty shit just to get a response and then they backpedal and they're like hey man never thought you'd respond super big fan can i get a shout out you know what i mean so it's like they're living in this fucking really weird world now where it's like everyone wants a piece of these guys and i think that like it's like great for access but it's also i think what made chad and james and ricky so fucking rad is it's like you didn't know all you got was that super gnarly cryptic message that chad would give you on the box dude and that was it you nailed it because there wasn't anything else it's kind of like james right uh why do we yeah we still obsess him because we don't know nothing about the guy yeah yeah and and when you're in you know california Chad too. He didn't write a lot in Cali. He kind of kept it cryptic. Ricky didn't write a lot in Cali, but like the California fan base is so numb to like superstars to this day. Everyone's there, right? You either at the track, you can see them, you can touch them, you can physically smell them. So it's like when you get like a a dunge, dunge does not go to the private tracks or did like maybe five times a year. So it was like really gnarly, like dunge is here, Mm -hmm. but like the way it's set up, like, you know, or Chad, oh my God, he's like Glenn Helen, like, oh, media's all on him. But normally, like, now with social media, you know what everyone's doing, so we're kind of all numb to it. Mm. You know, like, you're not doing exponentially anything different than anyone else unless you're like an Axel Hodges. Yeah. Or a Tyler Behrman, or like, you know, Creed, Corey Creed, or guys that are doing big, gnarly things that are unattainable. But a guy seeing Dunge go around milestones, like, I don't really care to see that because I can go around milestone. Yeah. Right, like that track, people want to see the Baker's Factory because they don't get to see it a lot. Yeah, people want to see Chad's track because they don't get to see it a lot. But like, the more saturated anything people, people, any more saturated things are, people. Well, it's like supply and demand. Yeah, the stuff that you don't have a big supply for is in the most demand. Yeah, like, absolutely, that's all it is. absolutely. But even like you look at track, like this was I was talking to my girlfriend about it, 
with the Chad podcast because like she doesn't know about motocross like until she met me she'd never even seen a dirt bike like it was not in her world at all mm-hmm. so then when I'm telling her like hey this Chad Reed podcast is like the biggest thing I've ever done and she's like oh he only has 800,000 followers but Travis has like 4 million and it's like because in her mind it's like well that's the biggest one or like Kerry Hart has the same amount of followers and I'm like no 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 you don't get it like this dude doesn't talk to people like to sit there for three and a half hours with a person that doesn't talk to people that's like crazy and in our world like he said stuff on that podcast that like blew my mind and i'm on the inside of the industry i'm like super on the inside yep and i'm hearing stuff from him that is like going and i'm freaking out but that's because of that access thing and he's probably never going to do it again no way you know he'll never do that he'll never do another podcast like that again and it's like so it's like it's that supply and demand it's like he's just giving you enough he's giving you enough to stay there so tactical and ricky was the same and like and they were in that era where it was like straight to the motorhome bike pit debrief motorhome yep and then it was like motorhome for four hours one hour signing back to the motorhome back to there back to the track there private jet we're out and it's like it was so like it was so uh, closed off that like all you had was your imagination and yeah. that's fucking fun. Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. Like you just, you look at like stats too, like a social media stat and I could be wrong, but if you took like a football player in Australia and a football player in like American football and like baseball in America and you took the average of the following for like the guy that plays left field, like the rookie, he's probably has like 35,000 followers. Yeah. You got a guy that's getting twelfth in the Supercross main that's got two hundred thousand. It's crazy, yeah. Like, and but they're not getting rewarded financially. Mm. Like that guy's making you know twenty mil, fifteen mil. Yeah. This guy's making twenty thousand, right? Yeah. So like we demand our once again to your point, we demand like Chad said, like it was one signing we get met, you know, go out and get drunk, go party, do our thing once a year. Now it's like. What's your social stat? What's your this? Can What's you your post that? this? Can you, you post tag this? this? Yeah. And then we're asking so much of them to boost the industry, but then at the same time, you know, American Suzuki boss doesn't really care what Chad's following is, right? Yeah. Roger DeCoster, when he's signing someone, he's like, oh, well, Dean Wilson has 400,000 more followers than Cooper Webb. Oh, we should keep Dean. We clearly know that didn't happen. Yeah. Right? He got, he didn't lose, he lost his job. So it's like, at some point, they still want that tangible result. Yeah. Right. But I wonder like, and you know, like people might not know, but it was Chad and Tickle last year for the ride at KTM. Yep. Tickle got the ride. Mm hmm. What the fuck? You know, and it's like, I get, I get the, and Tickle, he got on the box a couple of times, didn't he? In Supercross before it. I think he, what race? He did get on the box one time. Yeah. So like, that's rad. And I love Tickle and he's a super fucking good dude. I play golf with him a bunch of times. The guy's my friend. But I ain't fucking hiring Brock Tickle over Chad Reed. Ever. Like, because you look at... It's old school. It's an old school mentality. It's ridiculous. It's an old school mentality. I think Chad, sorry to cut you off. I think Roger DeCoster and Ian Harrison were scared they'd have a path of the path of least resistance mm. with tickle. They could control him. And yeah. Tickles are kind of like, cool. I got the ride I need. Let me just do what you say. We're chatted. We all know. It's like, not bikes, uh, bike, this, bikes, bikes, that, yeah. bikes, this. And they're like, which is not the right thing for the sport. Cause Brock tickle doesn't sell. And I like Brock. I'm a yeah. big fan of Brock yeah. okay, for everything he does. 
But Ch- Brock Sickle could say he's not selling that many tickets to Anaheim. You know, he definitely ain't selling motorcycle. Yeah, Chad Reed is. There would be like three people that are like close to Brock that would go like, oh, I'm just going to ride. And one's his brother. And yeah, like it's his brother, it's his best friend, and then it's yeah. Brock's bike mechanic. Yeah, I completely agree. And but he'll admit like, that because that's how rad he is. Yeah, exactly. But like you go to, and this was, Jeremy said this, Jeremy Malott said this to me, and it was like, it's so, so true. It's so much easier to keep a Chad Reed in the sport than to make a new Chad Reed. There ain't no more Chad Reeds, man. They're not coming. Nope. They're not fucking coming. You got to hang on to that, dude. You got yep. that one. You get that one Chad Reed. You get that one James Stewart. You get that one Ricky Carmichael. That one Villapoto. You have to hang on to these guys. And and it's like, that's what I love about straight rhythm as well, is it kind of is hanging on to those guys. Like, dude, Ricky, go race straight rhythm. All you motherfuckers, go race straight rhythm. Like, Ricky, Chad, Travis, K-Dub, all of you guys have 40 you know you've done it yeah you can do it yeah but it's like we the sport needs them so bad but it's like are they all just like yeah fuck i'm yeah. over it yeah because they they've been burnt man they've been burnt by like so much workload for not like not a re- financial reward to make it worth it you know mm. and like the, the our sport turns their back on people so quick you know like Oh, and again, next, that Chad Reed thing with KTM. Yeah, it, it's really I I, can, I I don't know what happened like internally at KTM, even yeah. though I was there. But I can tell you the way they think in that race department is or what they do is it's path of least resistance. Like, oh, we have a program. We it's OCD. Yeah, we just need to slot this dude sl- in. Slide this dude in, and and like, he won't disrupt. He like, won't upset disrupt the apple car. Yeah, and, and Chad will. He, we know that he worked at Suzuki with that same group, right? Yeah. So they know what Chad was capable of, like mm. in every facet, right? Like that I think I'd be willing to bet don't have mm. any information that's what happened but that's not the right decision for our sport yeah so and at some point it's like we all got to start thinking like alright what is good for the sport not 36 fucking races for these guys dude that's the biggest thing the the teams aren't making more money they're not bringing in new sponsors we're having ebc breaks can you give us five thousand dollars like no dude we don't sell enough brake pads right like you can't hit up like maximum racing wheels can you give us 20 grand no like geez we're we're trying to pay our employees right like we're tied tied to detergents not coming in Costco's not sponsoring companies, mm. you know, like, you know, we're limiting and it goes back to the promotion, but like, but the thing is, the problem is, man, is these fucking things. This is the problem, right? People want to, uh, like or company. And I said this like with, with boost, right? So I was talking to Jason Haynes who runs boost mobile in Australia. And I said to him, we, we watched the Sydney supercross with each, like next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, it's fucking cool. Like we're sponsored by boost. They sponsored the event. And I was like, you know what, man? Like, Boost is back in Australia, and now it, it looks full. It looks thick. It looks like this. it has this presence everywhere in V8 supercars, in skateboarding, in surfing. In, like, it feels like it's back to where it was. And I was like, it's crazy that, you know, like... And I, I assume that he had more money, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have more money. What he did was he just went and spread everything out. And he got more bang for his buck and he went everywhere. And it's like, Lowe's don't want to pay. Like Lowe's just pulled out of NASCAR. NASCAR. And it's like, well, now... And it's like the thinking was... And it's a good metaphor for even like the radio and podcasting. Like people are pulling radio ads that go across like a nationwide sort of deal with iHeartRadio or whatever. And they're like going into like podcasts and stuff because it's like we can hit all these little... 
it's I, I've said it to people like fringe culture is culture right we used to have popular culture that um like whatever was on the radio was like pretty much it it was like one like uh one percent of artists sold 99 percent of the records because it was pop culture it was driven mm-hmm. you couldn't really go anywhere else for that information these people decided what was cool and these people at the TV network decided that uh, this guy is going to be on this talk show. Then it's going to be Jay Leno. And then we're going to talk about these movies and these actors. And then they were the f- people that were famous. And now it's like you got, man, there's like random people that are on YouTube that have like millions of followers that like no one knows who the fuck. Like look at Danny Duncan, for example. Because they're giving people an experience, right? Yeah, but it's it's like people are just interested. It's just they're, they're not being told what they have to be interested in anymore they can do their own research and like jiu-jitsu is a perfect example there's like guys that have like uh a guy that come on the podcast lachlan giles one of the best coaches in the world started a youtube channel millions of views and it's like there's because people are like that's what they're into they're not looking at the the six o'clock news anymore to tell them what movie they should go see and you know what i mean like people have so much choice now i'm i'm kind of like a product of that like I'm not looked at as like, oh, West Coast champion or 450 champion. Yeah, same thing for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So like I have that blog, my two-year life. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like people want to know what I put on my bike, what I do. Like there's no advertising dollar attached to that blog. I don't want mm. it that way because it's it's just people support me. Like 100% is my biggest supporter, mm. like hands down right now. Like they, those guys have my back and everything I do is for them because that's how I live my life. Like truly like I ride 100%. Yeah. Like that's my jam. But like how, what I, how I taught my kid to ride a motorcycle, how I taught him to go race his BMX bike. Not, it's just what I did. Not that it's the right way, but young dads, I'm, you know, the, having kids, I get hit up all the time. I'm like, fuck it. Why don't I just do my, sh- tell everyone in one yeah. website. And then that goes into like building my own shit. Everything I do, I do and on my own. And the people that, the people that follow you want to be there. Yeah. No one yeah. told them to go. You're not like yes. this. You're not this one thing where it's like back when NASCAR was big. Yeah. It's because that's what you did. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't, what were the other options? And it was like, and it was on the TV. So it was like, you flick on, you got four channels and you're like, you got NASCAR on one, you got NFL on the other, you got the fucking news on the other and the other one's about some church shit. Yep. So it's like, I'm going to watch NASCAR. But now it's like, you go on YouTube and you can literally type in, anything that you want you can watch cats farting you can watch fucking jujitsu you can watch midgets play pool like you can literally do whatever the fuck you want so it's like now we got to this point where like it was pop culture that dictated 99 percent of the market and now it's like that is almost now that whole pop culture thing like i i drove my mum's car here because jats borrowed my van right i don't have a radio station tuned into my van if my if it doesn't auto connect to my phone nothing happens no, there's nothing really. like there's nothing on there yeah my car's i didn't even it's, realize my car's the same way but like that's killing everything so like that's where it's unfortunate like that no maxima or no toil or whatever right mm-hmm. they just can't justify putting the money in because it's like you now have to like and Nobby Underwear perfect example right so they're one of our sponsors they sponsor this they have like these influences and it's like it's just this spread it's like let's just target people's interests and just spread it's like they're not advertising on channel 7 and channel 10 yep. and they're fucking huge yeah Pro Taper does not advertise in Transworld yep and they use all their social media blasts all their all their social media marketing and they are crushing 
the handlebar sprocket market because of their social media platform and like yeah. you know the trans world crew I'm tight with and they hate it that they're not advertising but like you can't how be, do you argue you, how do you yeah. argue when their yeah. numbers are better like yeah. you know and it, it's in like I think Fox pulled out of a lot of print and like print is it de- it prints become like like vinyl records right yeah, like if yeah. you, it's like if you're super it's into, nostalgia yeah. it's nostalgia but yeah the sport is uh but, so it ne- like i guess the point is is like that's real that's happening and there's nothing we can do about it nope. so it's like but nothing's adjusted the pitch decks are still the same uh, the fucking teams are still the head same down just yeah, beating that, it and the mentality and it comes back to the roger de costa ian harrison thing it's like dude adjust if Chad Reed gets 10th all year, in the grand scheme of things, that's doing more for your brand than Brock Tickle getting one third and eight fifths. Yeah, like the Husqvarna, the Husqvarna thing with Dino. Like, let's hope he gets on the podcast and let's hope he takes the gloves off on this one. Because I get, like he, you, he had that ride. Jason wanted him on the team. Zach wanted him on the team. Mm-hmm. Everyone, Bobby Hewitt wanted him on the team. Yeah. And they said, oh, we don't want like Roger DeCoster said, oh, we don't want a third guy on the team. And every sponsor, from my understanding, that sponsored his team was willing to put in extra, put in extra because of Dean. And he's like, well, we'll take that extra money and put it towards the whole program, like the group. And they're like, no, we, that won't come extra unless Dean's on the team. Right. And it's not because Dean is going to win the 450 title this year. We hope he does, but it's because Dean's Dean and he's fast and he's well put together and he, he's a he's a he's an ambassador and a leader and it's engagement. He's engaging with the public. He yeah. high fives just like the other other guys. Like look at Husqvarna as a team. Like Zach and Jason and Dean, those guys are some of the best like engagement guys. Like they yeah. take time for their 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 um, they appreciate their uh, fans. And you look at Red Bull KTM. You have Cooper and you have Marvin. Dude, you have chalk and cheese. Like yeah. Husqvarna is like the bad boys, and Red Bull KTM is like the school nerds that want to get A's. Like, yeah. as in both groups, the way they run. You have CeeLo with his beard and his construction boots, and you have Carlos who like sleeps in like a sleeping bag, and every time he flies because he doesn't want to get like bed bugs on him. You know, <laughs> so like you just have two different programs, and Ugh. clearly, what's most effective lately on paper, Husqvarna. Yeah. Well, they're world champions because Bobby Hewitt's willing to push the envelope and fight for what he wants. And that motherfucker's a rock star. He's sponsored by Rockstar, and he is a rock star. People don't give him enough credit for what he's done. He's so underrated. He's underrated, you know, and and he's willing to take risk and he holds on to people to make them great. Like and fucking loyalty, bro. Like Jason shouldn't have. Jason should not be where he is. Jason Anderson should be drinking beers. And fucking doing coke with Jason Lawrence right yep, now. He, like, if if you look in history of, like, a dude that was on a big team and that sucked as bad as he did with all that fucking hype and the bad boy image that Jason had, that motherfucker should have been kicked to the curb so long. Guess why he's the world champ right now? Because Bobby Hewitt. Bobby fucking Hewitt. And Jason gives him... Loyalty, bro. Yep, yep. Loyalty. And forward thinking. Forward thinking to go, you know what? I fucking know what this kid is. I know who this kid is. I know the talent. And I know that if I stick by this kid and give him what he needs, he can be a champion. Boom. Yep. Uh, Tyler Keith, man. Dude, another guy like yep. that. Another guy like that. Tyler's going to do big things, you know? Like, it's hard for me to look at Tyler being younger than me. And, like, Dude, I used, to, I used to think he was the biggest fucking <laughs> dick of all time. <laughs> yeah. And then, hey, Hammer, once again, Hammer got me. We played some golf, and I was like, you're actually the coolest dude yeah, of yeah, all yeah. time. Yeah, like, Tyler. Tyler is like us. He's a he's a student. He's a fan. He 
He's willing to like not have friends. And Decent say, swing. Yep. Decent swing. I got to give him props on that. Yeah, no, he, he, he's stuck by Sealy. Like, you yep. know, Ping resigned him on TLD when he was manager. Tyler inherited the position and he's stuck behind Sealy. stuck behind Sealy. And like Sealy went on to ride for Factory Honda, has been with the brand. Like, Sealy's a badass. And because of the TLD brand stuck behind him, McElrath, they could have mm-hmm. gave him the flick, not performing, dude. Like, stuck behind him. He had some unlucky, like, they're producing guys that are producing results, right? They mm-hmm. hang on. They they he gives them everything the program has to where like I honestly can say like, and if an athlete doesn't perform on like the Rockstar Husky program or the TLD program, they're never gonna perform anywhere else. Yeah, because they have every tool to yeah. like to perform. And then like that was Mitch before. That was Mitch Payton before. But now people go off oh, if if he doesn't perform on Mitch. Our our program's better, mm. you know, like like which is crazy to think. Mitch used to pay a guy twenty grand. Well, my program's the best. My bike's the yeah. best. He can't do that anymore. Yeah, Mitch is now paying people more than TLD KTM. Wasn't there some like gnarly shit where one of Mitch's like main engineers died like really suddenly? Uh, I think because like I I don't know exactly. Like I don't know exactly, but I think he. Uh, there was he had like a guy. I heard that there was something that happened, and like, and then that's when everyone was like, they had a bunch of DNFs, and then the bikes weren't as good. And it was like, I mean, yeah, and I don't know. I guess we probably shouldn't talk about it if neither of us know. Yeah, yeah we but don't. I heard some kind of like rumors, and it made sense that it sort of seemed like their rise stopped pretty suddenly, and then it was like they were almost playing catch up. And I yeah. wondered how much truth was in that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about Mitch's program. I can say about Mitch's program is when I was growing up, that's what you had to be on. It's what you wanted to be on. Yeah. And now it's not that. It's KTM, it, yeah. It, I, would, I would say they're all the same. Yeah. Like, like I would say people are like, you know, you're going to have to play the dollar and like the program, like now it's like, you know, if you, Mitch could go at any guy and go like Chris Gossler. Well, he didn't do anything on any other bike, on any other bike but ever. he won races on a pro circuit bike or podiumed a lot on a pro circuit yeah. bike. But like Mitch could turn people into champions and they'd leave his program and do, I mean, Ivan Tedesco was on good teams. People were trying to get the most out of him, but he won three lights championships, but didn't. Dude, Craig Dak is like that in Australia. Yeah, yeah. People you, get on his bike, and it's just like it's they win. A, but it's a it's a program thing, man. Like, and people always talk about the program. Oh, I'm on the best program. It is, man. And, it is. It's the people that like, surround you, and it's drinking the Kool Aid too. Like, you know, when you get, dude, and it's even in like, it's it's everywhere. Like, even in jujitsu, like with um, like my gym, like I I feel like confident because I know that my coach is like a legit fucking monster and competes on the world stage and it's like if he tells me jump i just say how high that's it and he goes off at me for fucking something up and i just take it and i'm not that dude like i'm not that guy in like any other aspect of my life but when someone like him says it and then it's like my friend trains at a gym in melbourne that's like produces all the best dudes in australia and it's like his confidence is insane because he drinks the Kool-Aid, man. Like the fucking, you know that program's legit. You've seen the people that come out of it. And it's like, you almost just feel like you have, you just step in line. Like yeah. oh, I'm on this team. I'm the next dude. Chris Gossler, perfect example. So speaking of the program, so when you sign up for like a gym for a jujitsu program and like, or let's, let's say jujitsu is not the same, but like, let's say a football team in Australia, Aussie football and American football. When you sign up for that team and you get paid 10 bucks or 2 million bucks, you get the coaches, you get the infrastructure, yeah. right? Why the hell 
if you ride for Rockstar Kate Husqvarna or KTM Red Bull, you get to sign up for the team, but then you have to pay the trainer. Mm. You can't pay you, you 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 can't choose your own trainer. Like or you that trainer's not part of the program. It's like you don't get the ride unless you pay that trainer. But doesn't KTM pay Yeah, but the riders still have to they pay. They still have to they pay. They still as have well. to pay as well. Huh. That doesn't that seems counterproductive to me and like and why is every rider in that program trained the same way? Yeah. Like someone slow switch, someone's fast switch and I just saw Marvin like Alden's produced results, right? But I would challenge his program 100%. I would challenge him. I'm am challenging it right now. Like the volume they put in, what he's never he now David Volman is paying uh Marvin's paying David Volman to be his riding coach. I just saw. Really? Yeah. So you're paying him for some physical stuff, like a hundred K a year. And then you have to pay a riding coach, like another hundred K a year. So, and then you're only making what say 800 and a total, maybe, maybe not even that. So you, like, that's fucking crazy. So like when you sign up with a team, it's not included, right? It's not all like, it's encouraged that you're be on this program. But in football, you've got the gym, the you've gym. got the strength and conditioning yes. coaches. Yeah. So we aren't looking didn't at like, JGR try and do that basically with yeah. their guys. So J, I think um, JGR tried that. It did kind of employed it because they weren't ready for like that type of infrastructure. Yeah. But um, it was, and I agree with it, the accountability, like, one thing with riders that it's really screwed up with moto is they come in and they don't get to ride a production bike first. Mm. They ride a factory bike. There could be some stuff on that production bike that they don't want to lose. And there could be things that they don't want to keep. Like just the motor package stinks. They want more power. Well, that's easy. They're going to give them more power, but they might like the no vibration, but they never knew that it didn't have vibration. If they just rode, they didn't ever got the baseline, the baseline, but they also, they just they don't get like the full package they don't get the trainer they don't get the only thing they get to know is like what the best bike was like whatever the championship bike was from the year before like oh this is our best shit because they want to give them the best stuff but they don't give them the complete package the riders have to pay for their trainer right mm. and they just like they just keep doing that Swanapool I believe is is funded by Star to an extent but you only get like a little bit of it. Yeah. Like you only get so much of, but to be full-time Swanapool, you get this, you get the bronze pack. Yeah. You get the bronze pack, but it's like the trainers are making more money than the riders. And right. I mean, I'm not just saying that they're not deserving of that, but these riders on star and TLD and Red Bull KTM and rocks. I think Jason Anderson's the only one that does it the way he wants to do it. Cause he has the power to. Yeah. He's like, no, fuck you, Alden. I read, I listened to the podcast from Oz X. He's like, I will be there when I want to, and I'll not be there. I'm gonna give you a paycheck if I'm not doing what I'm told. Then you can you judge me. You, like that's you know? what always is weird to me. And like I've said it on the podcast with Jay, like, I fucking love Alden. That dude has hooked me up so many times. Like he's a very, very, very good person, and to me, he has been a fucking legend. Mm-hmm. So like I can't cannot talk the bad word about that I don't even know him as a person other than a fan of his program Mm. but the volume he hasn't ever ridden a motorcycle as hard as these guys he's been a triathlete a mountain biker uh, an endurance athlete so he knows the body but he doesn't Mm. know how your body feels like those guys he doesn't know how to do 30 plus 2 he can't do it yeah we're like Swanapool does Swanapool knows you can't run it to the run your body this far that red line and these guys are running the red line 
two thirty. Like you wouldn't go and do for, with um jujitsu. You wouldn't do a match at the strenuous match you do the day before your match, would you? No. Or the two days before? No. Okay. Well, oh, we're, sometimes. We're, it's, but the problem with the problem with well, especially where I'm at, is it's so fucking fun to train okay. that you end up training like. So it's like I think it's a little bit different in. Well, it's kind of yeah. It's kind of it's kind of the same though. Like when you get to a top pro level. Yeah, that, that's what I was gonna say. Like the pro dudes, they ain't doing shit. But I'm in I'm in like the still the development stage yeah. where it's it's like the the curve is so crazy. Yeah. That it's yeah. like every time you hit the mat, you're it's so accelerated. But, but they're not at that point. They're at that maintenance phase, and and that's what like even with with Chad, it's like as I said to him, I was like, how much do you need to ride? It's a great question. Like, how much do you need to ride now? Do you need Do you need to ride? Like, I've seen you motherfuckers rock up at a brand new test track, KTM test track, and in three laps, you're doing everything. How much do you need to ride anymore? But our industry demands that. That's what I was getting to. You yeah, it's get, like the standards the here. Standards this is here. what works. If you're not doing 230s on Thursday before you fly to Unadilla at Glen Helen... So you want to put your body at 185 at thresh, anaerobic threshold, risking your life with hobby guys on the track yeah. for 230s, and then they have to go to the gym, and then they have to wake up at 4 a.m. and f- drive to the airport and get on a plane, lose three and a half hours, wake up, and they do that for 40 weeks a year? Mm, like, it's insanity. So, like, why why isn't why isn't the industry, why isn't Alden Baker going, you can't, well, he's shown, like, he gets the most out of his athletes. That's for damn sure, right? With, yeah. with Villaboto, with Dunge. RC. RC. Like, he gets the, the most. The problem is, though, is, like, we had this retirement window of, like, and I said this with Ando, it was, like, 35, and now it's 27. Yep. So, we had, like, this, what, the volu- seven-year the volu- shift? The volume is so high to be so great. Mm. Like they put, have to put the volume so high in, like these guys, the bodies can't sustain that volume for so long. You and know? I think too, there's like, there's, there's something where it's like, how much, um, like how much do you need to change the bike and how much do you, it's like all these people have these roles within the team. Right. And I said this to Jats at Jim Boomba. So do you, do you know much of Jats? Like you follow him on social media. He's a fucking I, I know, legend. I know him cause he stayed with the Mosman's. I know. Oh him yeah. See, okay, he's okay. a good dude. He's a fucking idiot. He needs, he <laughs> In he the needs, best way ever. He needs to stay off the fucking Snapchat. Or I'm not going to take him serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's, he's an entertainer. He's an entertainer. So with him though, it's like, so we got to Jim Boomba and he he just was like he rode supercross for two weeks before his because he had a shoulder rico and then the the tracks are like it's ruddy and it was hard and he was like he was like on the same second as a guy that qualified first right and then he comes in and my dad's mechanic and he's like oh, i want to i'm gonna call chad in the states and change what i'm like and i just walked up and i was like hey dude for what it's worth man you look great your bike looks great you're a second off fucking chill just chill you've got all of this mental energy that's spent on a facetime to the states to your engine builder and mechanic and then you've got the uh, the stress that you then put in on your mechanic to then get the bike ready for the main event and then like the stress of is it going to work and now the next time you're on the track instead of finding that half a second in yourself you're now doing a back-to-back on a bike that you rode a couple hours ago that you don't really have a reference of and I'm just thinking like, geez, this is starting to give me a fucking headache and I don't have to do it. So it's like, if the bike was on the same second as a guy that qualified fastest, what do you think energy would be better spent on? 
your personal riding performance and maybe smoothening out a couple of turns or adjusting a couple of lines, maybe finding a couple of lines, as opposed to going out there, stressing out about the changes, then figuring out on trying to do the same lines and figuring out if the bike is better or worse or is it just the same, and then going back and relaying that information. I'd rather just go, I'll just try to find four tenths. Like yeah, that's that, how yeah, that's, fucking simple it is yeah, in my if, head. If, if your foot didn't touch the ground in two turns, that's like, four tenths. That's four tenths. Like I agree, and in, especially on like a ruddy track too. Like he's saying, oh, I'd standing me up in the ruts, and I was like, well, just don't be on the brakes in them, or, or keep your outside leg tighter and push down on the rut foot. Like there's a lot yeah, of things. Like it's so, especially at that fucking bee's dick level that being on the same second as someone. If you're on the same second in qualifying. Don't fucking change the bike, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's maybe a perception like that, like especially if you're not Mike Sleater that was a tester for fourteen yeah, years. And, and honestly, you don't know. and when I go to races, when I race, I legitimately don't touch my bike because I'm like, it's too late, anyways. So right, I mean, like, it's like it's too late, and like, but I know that it's like I'll, I'll I'll fuck with it all week with the work, and I honestly, when I would go to the races, I'm like, I don't have to work today. I'm like racing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to fuck. How's your bike? It's fucking great. I don't have to touch it, you know. Yeah, so it's yeah. like you and I hear Chad still fucking with his bike because Chad's super into the equipment. Yeah, I know. he loves that. He shit. loves it, but that's what his mental edge. He's almost doing Chad shit, fucking with the other guys' heads. They think they should fuck with their bikes. Yeah, like when Eli went to Cowie our friend Rick Gilmore was his yeah. chassis guy and they were trying to turn a Cowie into a Honda because that's what he was good on when he loved Geico. Yeah. It's like, start with a stock Cowie, figure out what works good, but don't try to make a Cowie. Ne- that's interesting. You said that, like they never start on a stock bike because nope. like what, cause all right, interesting point. And I don't know if he wants me to say it or not, but anyway, Todd went to Europe, rode factory Honda, got whoever's ride that got hurt and then he was on that bike and then for the when that guy came back he did like the last four rounds on like a kind of shit team that was like a privateer but it was like still got good stuff mm-hmm. he's like oh man the privateer bike was so much better dude he was ripping out at um uh, Glen Helen when he was Paula out there and Glen Helen on a pretty much stock bike I bet and like he was gonna do the outdoors and I was super hyped to watch him it just sucks he got hurt yeah he just never he, he yeah. never got back from that but yeah. he was riding good eh yeah he was riding good and, and like I think like California, like I've talked to a few guys that I knew in Oz and dude, it's so refreshing to hear about how many dudes run. St- like Jay Wilson was on a stock YZ250F with ETS fuel and a Vortex ignition, I think. It's it, crazy. Yeah. Like that would never happen in the States. And he won a Supergirl title, yeah. Hauling ass. Like that, the, the guys are the real deal here. Mm. Like that, that group is insane. Like he'd be, um, uh, what's the dude from Mel- like down South, uh, races in for a cycle trader, Mel Ross. Yeah. Mel yeah. Ross, dude, he's legit. Like I've been watching him come up. Like the, these dudes here are fast and they're really fast in their home country. Like yeah. they get to America, a little starstruck. They don't probably as perform as well. Well, man, like it's so hard to like when I went to America, I just didn't realize like, I mean, first of all, I was just a kid basically, but I just didn't realize like how hard it is to like not have your mum around, not have your dad around. I can't imagine not that. have your friends that you grew up with. Like I literally would like drive on the four hundred five and track. Like when I drive now, if you're one of my like good friends, I talk to you on the phone for like fifty minutes at a time when I drive. Like I pretty much don't. I just call my friends when I drive and just catch up, stay in the loop. Like when you get busy, you're busy and you can't text and whatever. So like that's my time. And I'd be on the four hundred five. I fucking didn't have anyone to call. And it weighs on you, dude. And then you just sit there by yourself and you're in trap. Like, there's so much stuff where 
it's just living in a different country is extremely hard. And then you add any kind of financial pressure on that, any kind of like performance anxiety that you might get. Like I, I, I like trashed um, Ferris a little bit when he went to KTM. Cause I was like, dude, he sucks at supercross, which he did at that point in time. And I was like, he's doing shit. Like he's barely, and then I, I just, I was like, man, you struggle here and you don't even have to ride on a factory team. I was like going through the same struggles as him. And I'm like trashing him for like not performing well. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm not performing well, but it was just, you hold these guys to like this really high expectation of you performance. Forget people. And then you forget like they're dealing with the same bullshit I'm dealing with, but worse because they've got a following. They've got Roger DeCosta there. You know what I mean? And like Dean come on the podcast, which actually is going to go up this week. And he was like, man, I got to that KTM test track and was like six seconds a lap off Roxon. And I just went, fuck. And I did, I just started sending it when it was like stupid. I wasn't, it wasn't this systematic approach to get better or having the perspective to go, all right, this is just where it's at for the first few weeks. This is my first day on the track. Like, so there's all this expectation that you've come from this home country where you've been winning and then the world's where you got on the podium and whatever. And then you come here and it's like this performance anxiety, like this, uh, pressure that you feel and it's like that plus just the general fuck around of like moving your entire life around the other side of the world but that goes exactly back to the people who are surrounded with like Roger and that mm. program they're not Bobby Hewitt and they're not Tyler Keefe yeah and they're not like uh, you know um, a nurturing group that's gonna say hey we really only signed you to win the outdoors. Yeah. Right? Like they really only signed, they didn't, if they would have said, hey man, just get through Supercross. But the, he came in with so much pressure and how would you not? He's a competitor. He's a freaking... And he's amazing on a dirt bike. Yeah, so he comes in with K-Rock who is, we haven't brought his name up this whole time, is the only full-blown superstar that we have right now that we hope Yeah, I think so too. And he's got a six second, like six second a lap <laughs> gap on him. So in 10 laps, he's going to lap him. Yeah. Which he's going to lap fifth. Right. But he's going, Oh my God, they signed me. And they didn't, they, they didn't treat him like a person. They treat he was an expendable item. Yeah. And we're Tyler Keith. Well, I know for a fact, I can speak for him. Let's be like, Hey man, like we assigned, hired you to do this job. Let's get through this super cross yeah. season. Be help. We don't care if you get 15th, the first round, get 12th, the next round. We'll just keep building on you. We're here to support you. We want to look good as much as you want to look good. So you're meant to look good outdoors. Because I know Rockstar Husky do the same thing because Thomas Covington in an interview I saw on Trans was mm. like, they're like, what's your expectation for Supercross? There is none. Yeah. There is none for Thomas Covington because he hasn't done it just like Dean Ferris was made popular from his GP experience. Yeah. It's like, I'm here to do good in the outdoors. I just got to get through the Supercross healthy, but that's been beaten into his head, mm. like beaten and just had like, you're good for outdoors. And Dean was like, Oh my God, I got an impressed Red Bull KTM and this, this amazing yeah, 70, like the 70 yeah. year old man. <laughs> yeah. Like we keep building this old school group up. Yeah. And, and dude, it's crazy. Like, and man, I was at the, I was at the test track. 300 fucking and 50 days in three years and i'd talk to i'd see roger at like the same starbucks that everyone goes to and the same fuck i'd see him at yard house and like you live you all live together like if you are in california and Murrieta, yeah. you live on top of each other you want to go to organic roots and get a fucking a salad wrap or you know what i mean like you all and 
So I'd see this dude so much and I'd be like, hey, Roger. And he'd be like, hello. And that's it. And it's like, what? Like, that's not welcoming. That's not like, that's just intimidating for, and unnecessarily. And if your writer is feeling that same shit too. Um, so where are we going when we rudely were interrupted by the uh, hard Burner, drive being so, full? Yeah. So I was talking to Burner, Michael Byrne, and yeah. he's the like writing coach, team manager, jack of all trades at Rocky Mountain KTM. And I was like, man, talking to him and like, by no means am I like, this is not a Roger DeCosta bash session, but it's yeah. like really more like what the perception of what yeah. of of Roger and and the program, and he's like, I'm like, dude, did how much did he help you when you're on Factory Suzuki? He's all, dude, funny you ask that. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I signed on for Suzuki, and I'm thinking, dude, I'll, I need a guy like that to give me this wealth of knowledge. Yeah, like it's gonna help me be who I am and what accomplish the goals I want to accomplish. He said like ten things to me the whole season. You know, he's like, he doesn't give you insight how to be better, but to Roger's defense. He feels in the old school mentality, I hired you to do a job. Do the job. Do the job. Yeah. If you don't know how to go through the whoops, that's not my problem. Is the bike working okay? Yeah. Did I, is the truck okay for you? Chad like, can go through the Chad whoops. Chad can go through yeah. the whoops. Like, so like, like it's just not a, a program to work for a point of programs. A program needs to be looked at by riders more in depth. Like, like you go to a football team, there'd be a better offensive line coach or a mm. defensive line coach. An engine, like compare, is the engine program better here? Or the chassis program better here? Where I think we still are backyarding it in like the big global scheme of things, like Todd Waters. You know, like yeah, he took the opportunity, like oh, it's got to be the best program. Maybe it's the only program, but like, and the bike wasn't good because people were trying to justify their jobs by making it better. Mm. Where I can say what what Roger does do good. Is quality control in the equipment. He does. You don't get lost in that program with your bike. Yeah, that bike is dope. Like I got to ride Dungeon's championship bike, and I was doing stuff on the bike in three laps that I probably couldn't have done when I was racing full time because the bike was so good. And part of that. And so, good. what is that? All right. So explain that. So like it's Ryan Morris and like the group they work with and the time like the, the whole package like they start with a stock bike which they do that team does Ryan works with the R&D group that mm. I used to work for so Ryan would go and ride with me and be like oh okay like shit we're going down the wrong road get back get back bring it back in we're like they team the company works so close to the factory and the production stuff so Roger because he has some serious weight he can pull would go to Austria and be like you need to make the bike lighter yeah. the bike needs to be lighter it needs to be five pounds lighter and they would just five five pounds five find five pounds to take off of it mm. and like so Ryan would come ride with us then come go ride Supercross and then they go ride with us and come ride with Supercross and Ryan would like look at the bike and then I'd be like hey Ryan can you help me with our bike like how can our bike be better with yours and like we'd work back hand in hand in the US and then there'd be a person delivering that message to Austria usually Roger who's on the board of directors so like no one's gonna say no mm. but like outdoors Dunge's bike was terrible Really? Like, yeah, because Ryan would spend so much time on the Supercross track. I rode Dunge's bike the year that he got beat by Tomac I can, by like a minute at Hangtown. Mm. And I was like so excited because I'm more of an outdoor guy. Like I don't spend a lot of time on the Supercross track. And I'm like, could not wait. I'm like, I'm going to learn from this bike. It's going to do things that I don't know that our bike can do because it's it's just a factory KTM. It's Red Bull KTM. And I, I'll still geek out. Like, dude, I'm getting on a Red Bull KTM. Like, mm. like this thing is insane. Titanium, everything. And I rode three laps and I'm like, come in and I go tell Jim, this is engineer. He's looking at me he's like, Sleater, how is it? Cause I just stroked him off for three days. 
how good the supercross bike was. We had this two week long test. Me and Morris had to do finish supercross. And I was just like, you guys are legends. This bike is amazing. I see why Dungeon just smoked everyone. Cannot believe how easy that bike is to ride. So is that what it is? It's just like, like I'd like, I'd be interested to know so, as like a person that I couldn't tell you shit from clay when it comes so like, to a bike. So like take a stock KTM and that, in that 2006, was it 16? 15 that he won whatever mm. the last year he won the title 16 I, wrote, I think 16 right? yeah so I wrote his last supercross series that he won his bike and I wrote it and I was like super intimidated to ride it I was like dude this is gonna be way too much power for me it's gonna be too stiff for me because I'm not fast enough mm. how am I gonna get through these obstacles I gotta spend three days three different tracks on this certain test we were working on I'm like we we're, we're working on transmissions and I'm like dude I gotta make sure that I'm up to snuff, pretty intimidating. I got, you know, Frankie and Carlos and like Jim, the tech guy. And I'm just the production dude that rides outdoors like a squirrel. So I get on it and I'm, I airmailed the triple like three laps in a row. <laughs> and then I started putting lines together and just the, 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 how light it felt and the smooth power. But dude, the clamp offset was the same as stock. Like legitimately, it felt like a stock motorcycle sitting in on the ground, which was so like gratifying to our group. Mm. Like it wasn't like the races weren't kicked out two degrees and it wasn't brought in. Like, so I knew as a company, we were going down the right track, mm. right? Like, and then I, I, the power was super light and free. Like the bike was extremely light on weight, on the scale, but it also felt it in the air because the power was quick because they got their ECU so dialed in. And then, um, the connectivity from the throttle, like when I I touch it, it moved, but it wasn't like a light switch. Like mm. they had the thing so refined because Dunge and Morris and the group spent so much time like refining it. They didn't go like 90, like 10 degrees this way, 10 degrees this way and 20 degrees. They went like, they were just chasing 1%. 1% man. They were as a, and, the, and then you look at Ryan, Ryan personally was probably only chasing 1%. And you look at the success of that group in that, in that series they went down to the final hour, the final race to win that series that year, I believe. Yeah. And they had two weeks to get ready for the outdoors. Mm. Right? <laughs> and they were like, okay, this is pretty good. Let's go and racing. And we all know what teams want to win. They want to win Supercross, right? So like, they and I've been riding outdoor only, right? Just outdoor only, setting up these bikes for you, for you to buy, for me to buy, for our dads to buy, our brothers to buy. And I'm like, dude, I'm pretty confident in our outdoor like setup for production. Like I was... I would put it up against anything. I was like, this is mm. my gym. And so I'm like, dude, I cannot wait to ride this thing outdoors. Like it's going to be a treat. I did two laps and I'm like, this thing's a pile of shit. Really? Yeah. Just, they had just hadn't smoothed they, those one percenters. They, they have not, they had big 52 millimeter forks like Supercross. That mm. are, they had a stiffer settings and I'm like, they've been in the Glen Helen's a hard, more hard packed track and maybe they're testing in Florida on some dirty, heavy loam. But like he, he, this was already after the season been been started, and I'm like, man, this thing is like not good. Like, it's got a ton of power, but I'm like, let me give it a fair shake. Maybe I'm just not fast enough, so I'm gonna mm. ride the shit out of it, and maybe I'll get it to move more, and it'll work better. And then I can be like, yep, like it, it's it's me, and not I'm not. Yeah, yeah. And nah, dude, I was riding it harder, and it was like, oh my god, this thing's sketchy. Like, yeah. can't even believe how sketchy this bike is, and like that's why he got his ass kicked by Tomac. You know, Tomac might have gave up on the Supercross series a little earlier and worked on his outdoor setup and had it handled. Yeah. And Dunge didn't and got caught off the back. Well, what was cool, though, to that team. They turned it around. Morris goes to the team and I couldn't imagine being that guy. He said, hey, guys, like, 
our production bike is better than this. Is better than this as a package. Like, yeah, this might do this better, and this might do this better, and like, it's clearly got not as much dampening, but as a package, their bike's better. Like, the production bike's better, and we need to go more that direction. And that is gnarly to tell RD and Ian Harrison, like, hey, we're we're not the best right now. Like, this other group in this company is better than us in this segment. But dude, they they took it to the chin. And so did they basically then go back to like more of a stock bike and then redo no, they, the process? No, or? so what they did was, from my understanding, is Ryan took my setup on a bike, took it to the track, worked on that bike, hopped on ours. Because the biggest thing they have to do from like a racing standpoint is those guys haul ass. The bumps are bigger than like a, a you know, hobby riders track. So they got to make sure it doesn't move too much and like Indo them and that's why they said that's why it's stiffer. so stiffer so that chassis doesn't move around on them but they can get on they can, when you can get on the gas harder or produce more power the chassis is going to move more there's going to be when the shot goes down it has to come back out at some point mm. so that the, the compromise get that thing not to move as much but still have traction and comfort yeah right so like if you get that shock super stiff then it's not going to track coming out of ruts where our production bike is quite a bit softer but dude, it was tracking and you could turn where Ryan's bike was so stiff. I couldn't turn unless I hit a, hit a rut or like a berm. Yeah. I couldn't go through like a flat turn because it just drift out. It just so, starts like understeering. And yeah. So front. on a factory bike, especially a KTM, you have a 52 millimeter, 52 millimeter fork. I thought they went away from that. No, they're aluminum 52 millimeters. So like two factory forks weigh as much as one 48 millimeter fork because they're so light really which is insane right so like fuck yeah but the problem is the, the diameter makes it more rigid that's they're stiff yeah they're stiff so like um and then they have a bigger axle which is yep. an axle produces more rigidity so they have to find ways to make it flex. make it flex so like a steering stem maybe steering stem or forks but i think they went to smaller axles and then a skid plate makes a huge difference too. So like if you take a frame rail. Oh, because it's like bolting. It's like yeah, reinforcing the frame. That's exactly right. Fuck. So like back in the day, you'd run like an aluminum skid plate. You're basically welding your frame. You're shut. just like bolting your frame bol- up. Bolting yeah. your frame up. Like you might as well have a straight plate. Where like that's why everyone has plastic or carbon nowadays because you allow your, your mm. those two frame rails to flex. So like... Um, it, it goes it goes so deep like even like a tr- crossbar I run I love the way like a twin wall looks yeah but it's too stiff too stiff yeah. so you cut it in half yep. you cut the bar in half and like tape it up so like that was just because I was being an aesthetic dork when I ran twin rinthals now I just run a good a pro taper and I just run up a, a lot bar. of people went away from the twin walls because they were saying that they were too stiff yeah so like um, and then head stays like head stays uh, from like the frame to the motor um, a steel head stay gives you more feedback on like what the chassis is doing. Like, okay, I'm sliding out. Okay. I know it. Cause there's, it's got some movement. It's starting. You're starting to feel it before it yeah, happens. Before it happens. And then like you start running like carbon fiber ones and you're like, you have a more of a rigid setup and they're running carbon head stays on Ryan's bike. And like the aluminum has a different feel. So like that's where Reedy is so good. Like with chassis, like he'll set his bike up more chassis related than like shim related or, or dampening. Uh, he'll run offsets and like clamps, like full chassis, like race car shit. And, um, th- that's where that bike was off. That dunge bike was like super rigid. So they got it to free up with what, I don't know what the changes they made, but it turned around he started winning motos again. And you know, he, he, he did what he does and won, but like, 
it, it's crazy how a, a group of people like that are the best in the world can go down a road. That's just not the right road. It's not the right road because you need to have a reference. Yeah. Like, you know, you need to have a reference point to start off with. And that's like the good teams. Like we'll go back. Okay. Like in when they hire a rider, sometimes they forget the rider works for them. Mm. Right. The rider, the team doesn't work for the rider. Right. And it doesn't like you've seen top guys. You've worked with many top dudes. Like, Hey, we're testing tomorrow. No, I don't want to ride that track. Okay. Well, what track do you want to go to? That can't, shouldn't happen. Mm. Like they get a paycheck from Kawasaki. Like they should tell them, Hey, you're going to be at the track at eight. That's a job. It is. That is a weird line, man. And, it is. I mean, and I, I, I like wonder that as well, like in a bunch of, um, different kind of like circumstances, like with what we're saying about with like Ando and the, the whole Alden thing. It's like, who works for who? Yeah. Does, does Ando work for Rockstar Husky or does Rockstar Husky work for him? Like, are you self-employed? Are you a contractor? to so you're a contractor because my my testing contract was exactly that's theirs. what i mean yeah so but i like, work for I'd ktm look at you as like an employee of yeah. ktm yeah and so like even for me like i get dude there's been jobs where like i've done film stuff and i'm like people are talking to me like i work for them i'm like motherfucker i don't work for you i work for me and you've come to me for my services and but it's a it's a weird it's a, line, it's a, right? It's a it's a gray area. Yeah, and and it it's even like uh, so with a guy like Jason Anderson, it's like yeah, they pay his bills, but it's like is he an independent contractor to them, or is he like a an employee that just they get to say that do what you want? But I think what happens is is success dictates whether you're an independent contractor or whether you're the bitch boy that get like Brock Tickle ain't telling Roger DeCosta where he wants to ride. Nope. Ryan Dungey is doing what the fuck he wants. Yep, and that and that's that. Once that door is opened up to, from it's either day one or day four hundred, you, you can't, can't close. You that can't thing. close that door. No, no for and, sure. And and that's with like any job, right? Like with yep. your craft and my craft is like, I treat it. We, we, you know, I was never that that guy that could really dictate the test. I obviously earned the respect from my group. I mean, oh, it'd be best we go there as a group. But like going back, like they don't, they 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 can they could play the rider a little bit like start with a, they should they could know that what the bike setup they want to end up on yeah but teams i think when they hire say like a top guy like cooper webb do you think they're going to give him a stock motorcycle to start riding on no way they want to give him like what they, they think, think is, is the, the best, best because yeah. they want to like show him they want to they want to compete with yamaha and go look how much better our bike is than that yamaha you're riding there's a bit of like mm. bit of like uh, um, well, competition, like, competition, well, but they don't, they do themselves as a service. It's like your first date, man. Yeah. That chick's getting doled up to the fucking nines. Yeah, and, and she ain't we, coming up with morning breath. And, and we might know, blow it and take her to the best steakhouse in the world. That we can't afford that for we the next date. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the room of growth for Cooper Webb on that bike, if they give him that best package they had in 2018, mm. if they did this, I don't know what they did or didn't do. I'm talking out loud here. If they gave him the best package from 2018, they're going to only improve that thing maybe 3%. Yeah. Right? So if they were to start with a production bike and said, hey, go out to your go out to a local outdoor track. Yeah. We're going to go with you. We're going to do like factory fork, factory shock, but stock motor, keep it safe, and then go, okay, we're going to put this on. We're going to put that on. We're going to put that on. And like let him feel part of the process of building that bike. Mm. He would actually understand and appreciate what those guys did. And where it's come from. Where it's come from. 
because they do make the production bikes better, like in a lot of ways. So maybe it's worse, but the juice is usually worth the squeeze. Like mm. those bikes are at weight. And when limit. you're invested in the process too, it makes yeah. a massive difference. It makes a massive, as exactly like, I don't know what it took to make this iPhone. It's just, a, it's just an item that I can break and, and I use. Yeah. But if I understood what it took to get there, I might appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying once again, Cooper Webb doesn't appreciate his Red Bull KTM or Martin Davalos doesn't appreciate his monster pro circuit. Well, the thing is, is like it's accountability, right? So like day one, he gets on a full factory bike. It's the best spec. It's the best this and that. They set the sag. They fuck with some clickers. There you go. If that bike turns out to be a turd, there's no accountability on Cooper's end. Cooper didn't make that. That's exactly right. He's like, I didn't make this piece of shit. You made this piece of shit. Now fix it. But where's whereas, their reference? Whereas if they start on a stock bike and they go all the way down the road and then they get to fucking, you know, three, four weeks later and it's a piece of shit, then all of a sudden Coop's got to start scratching his head and have some accountability because he is a part of the process of that bike being a turd. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes back to what we started this whole thing off with about test riders is that sneaky guy in the background, mm. that Travis Preston, that Ryan Morris, that Ivan Tedesco, that, that basically weave through the bullshit like mm. they're weaving through you got to try stuff and like i said those days i spent more days that shit was bad than it was good but we had to work through the bad to get through the good and the teams that aren't equipped like um basically any of the factories you know i think honda for a few years was going down the wrong road with some dudes like i remember <laughs> ivan tedesco coming out before anaheim three ceremonies with a hard hat on that he found in the tunnel and he was pretending he's on a jackhammer <laughs> And everyone was like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm fucking that's riding. That's what I'm about to ride. Yeah. He was, they, like, Ivan fell through, like, the worst, like, five years of bikes that were being reinvented. Like, yeah, from, like, when the, he went on those, like, Suzuki, yeah. like, was a piece of shit. But he was like, Roger's like, well, Ricky rides it fast. Yeah. Right? Well, fucking Ricky rides it freaking Hodaka fast. Yeah, And yeah. then Ivan came from the best equipment that made him great. And then he got, he we signed with Honda because the, the reputation was that one, the 2008 or whatever, seven that was amazing. And then they changed that all new chassis that was like a piece of shit. And he fell into that cycle. So it's like timing is so much yeah. of the like. Even that, even that's what Chad said. Like he, he said that, like Ricky got lucky with bikes and timing and I'm like come on man but then you say like when then you point out like an Ivan Tedesco it's like you can get unlucky with those bikes and then Chad had to ride Yamahas that weren't good and then look at what happened when James got on the Yamaha that wasn't good like you, you can get fucked yeah and James is a prime example of going down that path that was fucking bumpy road like they made special gas tanks to the, like he had the idea what he wanted but they had no quality control they were trying to appease an absolute beast right yeah they were trying to appease a man that was like a, an, an a god walking yeah. yeah he was an anomaly to anyone what he'd do on a motorcycle you know yeah. like what he could do you his forks didn't move his shock wanted it free and like and no one can be his test rider because no one can ride like James Stewart no but he had a group at Cowie that knew what he needed and they got lucky and they, and the, the stock bike was good and they stayed on that program. Right. And mm. like it worked. When did you first find out that you were like good at testing shit? Dom Maeda plugged, plucked me out, man. Um, I, I rode for, uh, my dad built some, uh, bikes to me. This guy named Tom Morgan out of Arizona. And he was like a kind of crafty two shirt guy. And then I started building my bikes for me and my engines and suspension. And I go test with him. And I just learned, and then Dom Maeda gave me an opportunity to test for Transworld. 
in like the last 252 stroke from uh, for Suzuki. So 90, 99 maybe, 2000, I forget, maybe a little later, but I rode the last press intro for, in Garth Milan comes up to me and goes, dude, I got this gig for you. Like, I don't, I know you know Swap, but like, he's gnarly. If you fuck him over, he'll ice you. Like, like if you're a test rider for Transworld, you're always going to be a test rider for Transworld. If you test for him, then you go test for Cycle News or test for MXA, he'll ice you. He'll never be in the magazine again. He'll fucking have someone come take you out at Glen Helen. Like, here's your shot, man, to be with the best crew. I'm part of the best crew. I love Don, but that's his way. And me and Don are boys. I'm part of the crew for life. I love how they treat me. Um, Dude, like, that's the first time I ever heard your name was in an article in Transworld when you qualified for like the last one, two, five. Yeah, um, yeah. They Supercross. wrote like a story yeah. on you, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I'd ever heard your name. And yeah. I remember you had the dopest Tagger helmet. Yeah, Tagger laced me up with the best stuff. I was the first guy to ride ride yeah. for him. And I remember rolling in the stadium on my, as an 06. And I rolled in the stadium. I had shift gear, Tagger Fox helmet, Fox boots, like... I looked insane. Looked I looked apart. I'm like, I better fucking perform. So like Don Mado through like my pro career, I would test and do stuff until I basically got two in with KTM mm. where I was basically, uh, it was, like, co- yeah, it was a conflict, yeah, it was yeah, a conflict yeah, of yeah. interest. But when I was there, I was doing my private racing efforts, dude, Transworld was a big part of my program. They would like, first of all, like they give me press. And second of all, he'd like pay for a fly or pay for my hotel yeah. accommodation. Like, that crew has always had my back. And Dude, Don fucking... You, oh, you... So I hooked you up with Azza. Yep. My mate when yep. he came and did the Worlds the first year. And then the second year, Don gave us a bike. Dude. So Don gave us a Transworld bike for Azza and then Azza won the, four, the 40 plus he, class. Azza had a bad go the first year. Dude, sick. He, oh. he was diarrhea. And I was supposed to be there and then my visa fucked up so I couldn't be there to help yep. him. So like I'd promised him all his help and then just <laughs> fucked him over so hard. Oh, God. Which like I couldn't control. And then the second year I was like, bro, we're doing it up. Like yep. I took like two weeks off for him. We drove and rode every single day, got him the brand new 2019 Honda, like just fully got him super dialed in. He was able to win it. That's but, so cool. That, that race has been awesome. Like the vet world is really, it's, so, it's, cool, it's eh? so cool. And, and, and like kind of going back to Dawn and Transworld is like they bought the Transworld bought the vet X thing in SoCal and SoCal scene was pretty bad with racing. We had too many races that were lackluster. So no one, mm. like no one knew where to race. Yeah. And then uh, what makes Transworld, I think so great is that the guys that work there, they like live and breathe it. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it. And, and I actually, I was surprised to learn that like Don couldn't, wasn't coming here or someone from the magazine wasn't coming here to Australia for the Oslex open. I think it'll get there. Well, they, I found out why, which is, I get it, but I don't get it is that they weren't allowed to do their own photography or movie. Uh, Like our sports getting in its own way. Yeah, like come on, Adam Fuck. Bailey. Adam Bailey, like it's like, like I don't know, like why? it's in it's in everything, right? And like, oh man, like I get frustrated. Like we, my brother does heaps of stuff in V8 supercars, so it's like that's our NASCAR, mm-hmm. and it's the same fucking thing. And so I, I, I was there filming for one of the team, like the Ute series, and then dude, biggest wreck of the year, right? I'm making a video. It's only for social because that's all you can do. And then I filmed the team manager watching the crash on TV, couldn't show it. And I'm like, you guys are fucking retarded. You're getting in the way of your own. This will be the most viewed social video. Like here you've got one of the biggest things to happen 
in the year. Like this thing just do, 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 end for fucking ended, man, the whole way down the start straight. And it's like, there was a guy that was paid to film it. Film the team. You weren't there. Your cameras weren't there. You've only got the on-track stuff. You've got a guy that was paid to film that team. And just by chance, the biggest fucking crash happened while I was filming the team manager who's in communication with the driver. Nah, can't go on social media. You're fucking idiots. And like for yeah. Fox for Fox Sports, like because a lot of it comes down to the TV contracts. And this is why everything's going on YouTube. Everything's going on Facebook. Too like, many hoops to jump through. Yeah, because they're so close-minded of like, no, it can only be on our TV. Bro, you're going to show it once and it's gone. It's gone. Yep. This shit on social, you can live, for, it can live forever. It can be one random fucking like that, like uh, that motocross, uh, do you follow motocross IG? Yep, yep. F- fucking crazy, dude. All they do is repost like super dope shit. All you need to do is follow them and you'll see like kind of everything cool that happens in motocross. But it's like, if you then there's like all these people that are just out there hunting these social clips and just like constantly feeding the machine of like wanting to see shit. And it's like, because you're Fox Sports and you want people to watch the one broadcast that goes on TV, the one broadcast that just doesn't exist again after that moment, because you want that, you're going to stop the event living forever. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, I fe- I texted Don like, hey, do you have anyone coming out? Anton or anyone? Casey, who's coming out to watch this, watch this event and document it? And he's like, fuck that event. Mm. I'm like, what? Like, are you joking me? And he's like, yeah, man. Like, we can't use our, we have to use their content. We can write about it, but we can't, we have to use all their own yeah, content. He's like, he's like, why, why would I do it? And then you look at, and I, and I kind of was like, oh, whatever. Like, maybe you should, like, why are you being kind of soured on? Like, not really knowing the editorial side of things. Mm-hmm. But then I go see him when he goes to Bercy, and dude, I'm watching Bercy hot laps and recaps from last night, this morning. Yeah. And, that's what Oz Supercross needs is that. Don mm. would have get or Transworld would have given the Australian market some exposure, but the whatever who was ever in charge of lining that package up, TV or not, well, didn't allow it. I don't know for sure, but I I know in dealing with like Fox Sports and stuff that it's just in a TV contract. Gosh, that's, if, if you wanna if you wanna be on TV, if you want your event on TV, then you can't and the problem is and then like so it's it's like a multi leveled issue, right? So I would bet that Bailey and those boys would just go, fuck, let's just live stream it to our Facebook, right? So yeah, that's, that's what, that's what would make sense. And that's what is going to happen eventually, that's right? What, that's what Hammer said. He's like, how was the event? I couldn't fucking find where to watch it. Exactly. Like the Red Bull ha- Straight Rhythm. Oh my God. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook and it's on uh, Red Bull TV. And then, and so it's and on the, three platforms. And then it airs like- And then it airs on NBC. Late, later, you know, yep. like who cares what the live package? Cause no one's watching live TV anyways. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> so yeah. And like all it uh, is, is like you see a post on Instagram and then you're like, you're like, oh, fuck, that's right. Oh, it's Supercross is on. I'm just going to watch it on my phone. And like the whole thing with the Supercross this weekend was like, when can I watch it? When can I blah, 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 blah. So it's like, but the problem is, and so I know Bailey and the boys uh, would and know I'm, this, And right? I, I'm giving him a hard time because I'm hearing things from American crowd, but like he killed it with the event. Oh, I was they fucking, do for I sure. Was, I was like, inter- I had, a you know, four beers at a time watching this thing yeah, fully inter- entertained. Th- that. I, I agree, hundred percent. Just people in America knew I was here, and they were like, kind of, yeah, kind of yeah, having FOMO. 
Yeah. Like, why the fuck can't I watch this? Dude, there's Chad Reed's fucking racing on a JGR bike. And yeah. the world champions racing. And there's some Aussie guys that are fast as shit that we want to see how they stack up to. Brayton, that yeah. three-time Oz champions racing. Like, this, that lineup was insane. And people wanted to watch it and they didn't know how to watch it. So here's the thing though. So the problem is, is like, so, all right, so let's say you're Adam Bailey and this is, this is my speculation because I don't actually know, but this is in my experience, what he's up against. So you've got Adam Bailey goes, all right, I just want as many fucking people to see this event as possible, but I need sponsor money to put the event on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. So I need these sponsors. I could tell them that I'm going to stream it to my Facebook page, which they have like 83,000 people on Facebook. That's not enough for sponsors, right? But if you tell the sponsors, hey, it's going to be on Fox Sports, then the, then the sponsors, that old school mentality, which we were talking about mm-hmm. a while ago, is that, oh, TV, t- it's on TV, it's on TV. It's like, no, fuck TV. Like the people that want to watch it will watch it. And it's like, and then put it on TV after. But the problem is it's just a cart before the horse thing. So it's like until those boys have enough independent money to put it on and then put it on for free on the internet or like a red bull comes in and says like that would be the dream is like red bull comes in and says like okay we'll we'll just put it on red bull tv because they pay for like all of that shit but right now like they're trying to recoup with that sponsor money and the sponsors want the tv thing and it's fucked and then their hands like what they do is then from the the media side it's like yeah they're gonna stop trans world they're gonna stop these guys they're gonna stop those guys we'll give them the footage i know it's not the same but we need the sponsors and then because of that we need TV and the one caveat with TV is we have all the footage it can't go live anyway it can't do this you can't do that you can't film their own footage you can't be on track so it's like that's that's it and it's the fucking same everywhere and P- the PGA Tour like and the, the problem is right is now like you get one of these you could stream the whole fucking event to like Dude, I was- they're competing with this thing that's eventually going to eat them yep they're all it's it's gonna happen and it's just it's just this whole cart cart before the horse thing at the moment but it will change because it has to change yeah bercy had really good like i saw weston pikes crash unfortunately i, I wanted to see yeah, what happened yeah, fucked up eh yeah he's he's i think he's uh hopefully it's not as i just don't have a good feeling about it personally like Dude, and yeah he's in france and he's in France, so for like two weeks. Yeah, now, so like, yeah, so but I, I could see the live feed, like they replayed the live feed, like it was on, you know. Yeah. So it's like some markets got it because they don't have. Like it's weird how the, but like that stadium was sold out, huge stadium. It looks sold. I was out. gonna say the thing is though with them is they're doing like crazy ticket sales. Yeah, but the Aussex Open. I mean, I don't know the volume. I think was it was sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand, which was pretty good. Pretty good. And well, the, the stadium was sold out. Sold out. But then again, it's like another thing of like we could go to a bigger stadium, but then that's more money. But then we need like yeah, yeah, no, it's I, hard. I, I, dude, know? I can't even fathom being like in their and shoes. The thing with the thing with those boys too, and I'm just gonna give them a full shout out. They were just us, oh, Bailey dude. and Sando. My wife is like gave me the back line on dude, it, and I'm like, it's no, I'm, fucking crazy what they've done. Uh, it blows it's, my it's mind. It's so cool. Like I got to meet Adam two years ago at Vegas Supercross. Uh, Sarah introduced me to him, and to see what you know, like what he can put his thumbprint on and like the crew around him i don't it's not just him obviously yeah yeah they've got Uh, a sick crew and the thumbprint they put on like that two they have two races now and it's pretty insane like guys want to come here like 
they don't have to probably call people up nah. to come here now. Like after like the way they take care of their well, they treat everyone so good. Yes. They, cause they, cause they, as like you said, they're one of us. They, they know, know what they know. Yeah. They know. And just like hammer and Red Bull straight rhythm. He knows. He knows. Yeah. So like, and MX sports, like a lot of people can say, which is racer X, the Coombs family. A lot of people can say like they are a mafia cause they control media. Mm. They control this, but guess what they've done? They've elevated the purest form of moto, like outdoors, which is so hard to film to capture. They it's on live stream. Like you can you can watch it. You can they mm. they do a good job. Why they control it is they do a great job, yeah. right? Like I don't agree with some stuff, but that's just as a person. But when you look at what they've done for the outdoors, which is so hard to do, yeah, yeah, they've crushed it because they're one of us. Like Coombs is in the dirt and like the family's doing the damn thing, right? Yeah. Like they monopolized it, but because no one else could take the bull by the horns and make the shit happen. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like they're fucking, they are the mafia for a reason. And like they, 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 they don't need the AMA. MX sports does not need the AMA. Yeah. They don't like, they do not need the AMA cause they could have MX sports championship, but they let them have it, man. They let the AMA yeah, just have throw it. Throw your bone. Yep. They don't need them because AMA is bringing nothing to the table for the, for, for the AMA. Yeah. I mean, to the MX sports, they're, yeah. they're a sanctioning body, but MX sports has got the shit on lock. The tracks look good. They, you know, there's a lot of things you could say, but they do 95% of it to the nines. Yeah. And like Adam Bailey, like 99% of it was, I'd say 95% of it was to the nines. Like, and it, that's not done anywhere else in Australia. Mm. Right. Like Dude, it's such a struggle here, man. Like I get frustrated and I mean, I've talked, I, I definitely talk shit on like the outdoors I got my feelings on that. Everyone knows about it. But like, it's because it's fucking sad to me that I can't get excited about my own championship. Yeah. If you take away, like, let's just take away, like I've only been to one Australian Supercross, which is the Oz X Open, right? Which is the highest level of them all. Mm. If you take Anderson out, take Chad out, you take Dean out, take Brayton out, you have, who do you have? Like one or two dudes? Mm-hmm. That's it. And like Jace Owen was on a 450. Yeah, Jace Owen. So like, yeah. if you got the American guys out. But the problem is, right, is the the series, it has to, like, in my opinion, motocross has to be the backbone, right? It has to be the backbone of Supercross. It has to be the backbone of the junior stuff. Like, everything, I, I honestly feel like in a moto economy, motocross has to be strong and healthy for everything else to flourish and and it's what people can do people can't we, ride yeah, supercross exactly right and that's the that's the elite level that's the thing that you get to when you've like fully gone through this moto thing but like the the gear that sells the fucking bikes that sell the oils that sell the parts that sell the tracks that you can ride it's all moto all, like, all moto it's not soupy and to have a healthy supercross you need to foster motocross and it has to start from little dudes on a 50 all the way to 16 17 year olds on a 250f and everywhere in between and then off the back of the success of the outdoors you can build supercross and what's happened in australia is that the supercross has gone away and the motocross isn't strong enough to breed these top level dudes that can support a supercross series right so then you have to bring in these american dudes 
And then that's like 100 grand here, 150 grand there, 100 grand there. And then it's like, well, fuck. To even make this shit work before we accrue all of the costs of actually running a dope Supercross that people want to watch without laying like damn near half a million dollars. Yeah, no, you, you guys are in a rock and hard spot, man. Like, But I don't think it is that hard. No, no. Fix yeah. the fucking outdoors. Like, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I raced Coolum here that many years ago. Frick. I remember that actually. Yeah, the two-stroke cup. And oh, the yeah, I was going to say you did the two-stroke, right? And the it was interesting that like how it was... Just felt like a fucking dog shit club. Yeah, there. yeah. Like you had like two. Like it, it just it felt like a semi. Like like it felt like a local race. Like like yeah. two semis. Which once again the race we have the illusion that we need semis when we can just have the experience. Make the experience cool. Yeah. Um, I I don't think that we need you like the amateurs when you say like supercross like. When I hear guys say, "Oh, I prefer Supercross over outdoors," I'm like, "When amateurs like, I'm like, bro, you got your ride because you're good at motocross. Yeah. Like, you finished good at Loretta's to get your ride, which is a motocross. Motocross, race. yeah. <laughs> like, come on, bro. Come on. Yeah. Like you're don't you, bite the hand. Like just, feed you. Justin yeah. Hill, come on. Like yeah. you're you're a motocross rider. Like you're choosing to be be not willing to go fast. Oh, yeah. Which is okay too. That's your yeah. choice. Be honest. Call be it what honest, it is. Call yeah. what it is. But, um, and yeah, it's you, not hard you, you, and you, you get to do it in yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, and I, I think there needs to be like one series mm. for like, there needs to be one series. Like if you can do a global series, but I think each country needs to have one series and it doesn't need to all be like, like MX sports gets hated on cause they kind of made all the tracks similar dirt. They brought mulch and sand in mm. and they prep them all the same for this like certain formula which whatever like that's it's, if it's, but see as like a fan that shit doesn't worry me man no, like, that, that's what I'm saying so like I'm not worried yeah. about that but it's like the 36 races a year or how godly many of these guys have to do like why don't you have like let's say 16 dynamic tracks mm. 16 so if we own like a huge company like oil field piping systems or any company that wants to sponsor um, auto trader you really, when you have a business to run and you're sponsoring something, you can only really stay focused on that project for maybe eight races. Mm. Then you got to still worry about your business. But when you're like, yeah, we're going to do 36 races, stay in tune with what we're doing for 36 races. They're like, get fucked. Like, <laughs> like we're not, we can't, we don't have the energy to. Yeah, we've still got to run a business. we still got to run a business. But if you kept them entertained for 16 races over 52 weeks. You might have something. Like, and then you're like, and then you're giving guys a chance to like swap and go here and go there. And yeah. like, dude, straight up, like Chad would make more money by just doing every off season race than he would racing all 18. Absolutely. Because, because the people don't get to see him in, in California. Let's call Vegas part of California. Cause it is, it is. It's six hours or five hours away. The farthest, um, you got Anaheim one, Anaheim two. Anaheim three, San Diego, San Diego Hangtown in yep. California, Glen Helen, Vegas, Vegas. You have eight races. Even Phoenix, Phoenix. man, is close as fuck. You basically have shout out to Phoenix, best fucking city in America to get drunk in. <laughs> <laughs> you have ten races legitimately within six hours that you can see Chad Reed. Yeah. If you scaled it to two, you're right, gonna go. You're gonna go. Yeah. We're like, uh, I'll, I'll, I sit at home. I went to I went to Phoenix last year. That was it. Yeah. And I sat. I didn't go to A one. I sat at home and watched it on TV because I could drink, go, beers, drink beer. I could go mountain biking until seven. Yeah. yeah. Like because I didn't need to go. Yeah. Where if I feel capped, I was bummed. I missed straight rhythm this year. Like super bummed. 
because I, it only happens That's once a year. That's the one time of the yeah, year. Yeah. One time it happens. And would I have even stayed for the first, the whole night show? Maybe I would have jammed home and watched it online, but I would want to see what it looks like. I would want to yeah. experience the event and let that be like said, like there's just too many. I heard Glenn Helen's to be determined if it's going to be there this year. Yeah, right. And but the thing is too is like the format it's like the same format oh, and then man. like dude especially I've been campaigning for like no I'm kind of fucking campaigning I talk shit on my own podcast that's not really campaigning but I've been saying for ages like we need to do like a playoff thing because it's like by fucking three races in I'm like oh cool Tomac's gonna win this year or oh Dunge's gonna win again I'm out I'm out I'm checked out yeah, I'll start the, watching because, again at like New York because the old regime is it's still hanging same. like you got like and, and I don't know Craig Dack from the Adam but you have Craig Dack Roger DeCoster like the, these dudes that have been doing it these are former writers they're not like marketing geniuses they're not analysts of TV they're really good at their jobs yeah. are still controlling our sport we're like dude MX Sports are good what they do because they have analytics on everything you ask Tim Cotter for a number yeah uh, the statistic and Davey's walking the pits man yeah, he's, he's talking to people he's talking to people yeah. he, he he changes the track to what they want to an extent like Feld does not care Feld is a show they, don't they, they run the American Supercross they don't give a fuck they want to fill seats they don't give back and if they don't then they're going to do Nemo on ice yep. and no one gives so a like fuck. this it's just like Dave Prater who runs Feld on the communication side of things for the Supercross guys he does a good job but like you said like Roger's like a oh, playoff well like why do I want to risk a I don't title? want to risk that yeah no like oh it's too much work we're like look at Monster Cup the one off event yeah dude I like to watch that because I get I three, oppor- year, yeah. three opportunities to see guys. It's different. Like, time qualifying. Why are their points rewarded? These guys are risking it anyways, right? They're 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 whipping they're their sausage it, yeah. out to be the big, the fastest guy. Reward the top three with a po- one point. Dude, three, like, two, one. how sick was the the um, shootout at uh, Ozek? That yes. was like the best thing of the yes. whole night. It's one dude on the track. Can you imagine Anaheim one with fifty thousand oh fucking gosh. people? And right after opening ceremonies, they bring out the top six, top yep. ten, yep. and they do the top ten shootout in Anaheim Stadium. Can you imagine being like even the rider? And, like, the feeling that you would get with a fucking spotlight following you around Anaheim Stadium and you've just got to throw down a heater in front of 50,000 fucking people. And then look at the dynamic. I agree. That that, that has to happen. It, it really does. And look at this. Like, Cole Seeley, Christian Craig, um, Weston Pike. Like, take the the four guys, four to, four to tenth, even Freezy. Mm. You got these guys. If they, they think they could hang on for eight laps or ten laps, Mm. They know they can hang on for twenty laps, but they can do one. They can do one or even ten. Yeah. So if you do like the three ten yeah, lappers, yeah. like you said, like like if they do one lap, they'll let it rip mm. for one lap because they could gain five points. Mm-hmm. They could maybe gain five points five times. That's just twenty five points. That could be third to tenth in the series, and it gets guys getting we're getting more fan coverage. Mm. I mean, more more sponsor coverage. Like the oh, we're, we're say I have a guy I'm working for now. He wanted to sponsor Supercross, and I'm thinking, man, who do I get where this guy wants to spend some money that he's going to leave the stadium getting warm and fuzzies? Like, yeah. the guy gets to 12th place. We know that guy got 12th place is gnarly in the 450 main, right? Yeah. He's in his box watching it, and he goes, I saw my sponsored rider get 12th place. Not that impressed, Mike. Yeah. Like, I just spent 100 grand on the year for this 12th place guy. 
how am I supposed to get it? Yeah, what's the leverage? What's, what's yeah. the leverage of that? Because the sport's not allowing the sponsors to come in by, if that rider that got 12th got to be in Super Bowl mm. and you got to see him, all eyes on him yep. for one minute, that's a lot of airtime. Yeah. That's why step up and quarter pipe are so big yep. because it's, it's not one dude. one dude, world coverage, flashing their glove sponsor, their yep. goggle sponsor, their gear. That's where things are going, man. It's we're racing. You, 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 it's, it's too dynamic. You yeah. Know? And, th- and that's the thing. Like, can you imagine, right? So like pretty much every single year in the last few years, it's been over. Like, yeah, there's a mathematical chance, but like Ando's going to ride around in six at the last race. And like the riders wouldn't want this. The teams wouldn't want this. And I get it because if I was in their position, I wouldn't want it either. But say you got 16 rounds, you do the first 10 is the points paying round. And now it all goes back to zero, but then there's some kind of incentive for the people that are in that top six where the points at every race are different for those guys that have earned their way into like let's say the top six so now for the last because this is what the pga tour do right and nascar yeah yep exactly the, the, the race for the chase right they call it exactly yeah. and it's like the the fedex cup is yep. the um the playoff so basically they they go where it's like the top nine i'm probably wrong top 90 and then they do the next event and they knock 30 dudes out so then it's a top 60 but if you're in that top five coming into the playoffs no matter what at the last event if you're in the top five and you win the last event you win the playoff and it's like you imagine the shit that would get thrown down if that was the shake-up like no matter what the championships getting decided at vegas so it's like you reward those guys because and then again how many dudes just mail it in they're like oh well i fucking dnf the first round so now i'm gonna wait till outdoors, outdoors. you know and then it's like th- well, so and then it's like to, you they don't DNF. have to train as hard either because yeah. their laps are cut say they do 310 lappers or whatever that magic number is yep or they mix it up every other round it's a different format to an extent yep because you still have to have the consumer to understand what we're doing yeah you can cut down the training and the volume because I really only have to peak at the last five. Yeah. Right. I can come in, I can get through it. I can work on my bike, the pressure of the world, but man, the old regime will not let it happen because no one's stepping up and saying, I will not come. Yeah. If, because, I, but there's no like B series. Like, no. where do you, that's like the UFC and Bellator right now. Yep. Like the UFC is like told some dudes to fuck off. And then now Bellator's like, come over here bro yeah and now all these guys are like oh well bellator is doing this so now all of a sudden like there there was this monopoly of the ufc and now you've got one championship and you've got bellator and now the ufc is having to like move a little bit and they're having a budge a little bit because there is this kind of somewhere else to go so we we've pretty much come to the conclusion you, you need like anaheim one round one you need phoenix round two because phoenix is good to drink at Fuck, it's a good city. Yeah, you need a Texas round. You need a New York round. Florida. Florida. Then you need to go to Bercy. Yep. Then you need to go to Australia. Yep. You need to go, you need to have a global series, right? And everyone's like, oh, the privateers, blah. Dude, there's privateers across the globe. Like, Dude, like Jats is, I was a privateer. Like, you'll make it happen. Jats right now has got a bike from Blue Wing Honda in New Zealand, and he's getting a set of graphics made up by Rival Link. And he's fucking taking his suspension and my dad and they're going racing. Yeah. The like, bikes are like good enough. The bikes are good enough. That's where we've come to, right? Like yeah. you'll, and, and 
the bike, if you're if you're talking global exposure, right? A V8 supercar is three hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars, right? Yeah. All the equipment to go to it. When we talk about like barriers to entry, because we're a, we're a cowboy sport, right ride in the bush and the dirt in the fields, it's only ten thousand dollars to ride in front of a sold out crowd at Anaheim One. Mm. That's all you really have to spend. Yeah, you could physically spend ten thousand dollars and be the back of a pickup and ride your dirt bike in front of a in front of a sold out yeah, crowd and be on true. live TV. Yeah, there's nothing else in the world that can allow you to physically do that. Like at that cost to go racing, racing and the consumer purchase it shouldn't be so close yeah right like no no v8 supercar handles like the you i'm driving outside yeah but like they look the same like that's how much the the transparency needs to be like a 1996 yz250 did not feel like a 1996 yz250 that came off the floor mm. but the uh, ktm 450 like i just said feels just uh, a production feels almost better sometimes than a factory 450 yeah so like but you know, it's just we need to have a global series straight. But it's like we have to take advantage of we that take because we're the that. only sport that does let you do that. Yeah. And you know, you need to have these certain type of events like WSL, Surf League, like World Surf League. I cannot believe like the purists they have a wave machine contest. Couple of them, right? Yeah. Like one in Texas, one. In, well, in, there's one that is on like the tour. The tour that's Kelly's, but now they're sort of starting to pop up a little bit. But like, but yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy because they can. What's in the Olympics? They're going to do fucking surfing in the Olympics because in now form. they can predict the wave, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, which is like, the, I can't believe I'm I'm a hobbyist surfer, but like the purists were hating it at first, and they were like, "Well, this is going to bring more surfers into the market." Yeah, there's people surfing in the middle of Texas. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. The Kelly's surf parks in Bakersfield or something, or yeah. like. like like people could be surfing in the middle of Fresno. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's a real thing that could happen to bring more money into the industry, which we're not allowing. Mm. Like we saturated too many races and expect too many, too much of these athletes to move, to get out of our own way. But the old regime is not letting it happen because the OEMs yeah. still control it. But the OEMs let the OEMs control it, but they don't let, they let the promoters control them. Mm. They don't dictate if the promoter, if the OEMs don't go, there's no series. Yeah. Just get it together. Like, Hey, we want 14 rounds. We have no more, we have no new sponsors. We're going through mechanics turnover like crazy because they're traveling 50 weeks a year. They want to be with their families at least a couple weekends. Like there's no good coming from all these races. Yeah. There's no good. Like people, oh, I've seen Shane, Shane McElrath 15 times this year. I don't need to see him 16. Yeah. Like I want to be able to see him. Dude, I straight up lose interest of, in Supercross. That sucks. I fucking yeah. love Supercross. Eight, I lose interest every eight, year. Eight rounds. Yeah. Max, I'm into it. Yeah. Eight rounds. Like uh, maybe the the first five and then the first two East Coast. And then I'm like, eh, that's about it. Yeah, it's like, great. But, but that's because people, yeah, like Feld isn't thinking about the sport. They're just thinking about their, filling stadiums. Their business. That's it. But the OEMs could control it, I think. If the OEMs, if they just put, didn't, they, they said they, we're not showing up. We're not showing up. Hey, for the best of our industry, we're not selling new units, guys. Here's our product reports. Mm. We need to tell you that we need to. You're limit. asking more. We're selling less. Yes. That doesn't. Yeah, we need to meet in the middle now. We're paying our riders. Making everyone's making less money. Yeah. And you're wanting more of us to fill your pocketbooks. I think MX Sports does a pretty good job for the outdoors. Like I, I would say they, they try to appease it and try to keep it pure because they. The Coombses are a purist brand. That that mm. MX Sports is a purist. Like, they're not trying to be a supercross. They don't do supercrosses. They do motocross. Loretta yeah. Lynn's programs. Uh, they've 
brought back Southwick. They 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 help people to expand mm. the motocross, you know. Yeah. But they stay out of Supercross because they don't want to go to they don't want that angry bull to rear their head at them. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, hey, we're gonna um, we're gonna shut this bitch down. I I think we could literally talk for fucking like another yeah. six hours. I've super big time enjoyed this and yeah, i think we make this a yearly thing because i know yes. or when whenever you're in australia come on because there's there's like so much shit we didn't talk about there's so much stuff i wanted to talk about but like i'll be back next year yeah i was gonna say you just like you just come back we have keep, family here just i'll be back on. just keep coming i might on. be here for a long time in a short time <laughs> yeah dude i'd be i'd be stoked i want to start doing like supercross companions when we get the new studio so we'll have like the four of us supercross is going live and then we'll stream it out on Facebook and we can just fucking drink beers and carry on and commentate yeah. and fucking turn Ralph Shaheen Sound, down. Oh, but, God. <laughs> but yeah, man, I hope you enjoyed it. It's, I did. Um, this is a sick, sick uh, thing you got going on. Um, I, I'm, I'm always looking for your new guests. So. Look at your spider there, man, on the table. Oh, Australia is so gnarly. Dude, just for people listening, there's like a huge spider <sighs> that's just sitting right next to sleep now. Um, shout out some sponsors and you got anything going on that's exciting you want to tell people about yeah uh man i just 100 percent want to thank them for always backing my projects answer um been doing some cool stuff been a lot of life changes um lately and those two companies really have my back um doing let me do what i want to do and i got some new stuff in the works and i'm sure you'll know about it you have a little hint and you'll yeah, help yeah. me out with it so yeah yeah post, so I'll yeah post some yeah, stuff when yeah. so when, it, when that stuff starts launching man I, I look forward to letting everyone know and uh, stay stay tuned yeah and dude you're welcome on here anytime you want Thanks, anytime Chase. you're in australia or anytime i get back to the states we'll link up and do this because you're Thanks the man for it. and i hope you enjoyed it appreciate it sweet doggy all right everybody thank you very much for listening as always um follow us on the gram at gypsy tales podcast send me a message if you've got any questions or just generally want to say good day i always enjoy hearing from people special thanks to the guys at knobby underwear um wore them the whole podcast wear them every day fucking love them say it all the time uh thanks to the guys at boost mobile as well for all of their continued support of this podcast uh big stuff coming up you would have heard me talk about a chad reed podcast which i haven't really announced um that'll be coming up soon the uh dean ferris podcast is going to be going up this week and hopefully we'll be getting dean wilson on uh and then on thursday we had supercross and we'll be doing another podcast from the supercross there presented by the guys at nobby once again and then yeah we sort of start to come up to a year of gypsy tales um first one was posted in january one so that's kind of crazy how fast this year's gone um and where this thing has taken all of us because we're all in this together without people listening and being a part of like the whole gypsy gang community this is just two dudes talking in a room so really appreciate it uh it's super exciting times Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Again, I'm going to get Mike Sleater on more than once because he's a fucking phenomenal guest and a super great dude. Um, But yeah, until then, everybody enjoy and thank you for listening.